0: gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. This is, this is a sport, man. Uh, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd probably conquer my forehead. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. Uh, I am solo on the mic today. It's uh, is it? Tuesday morning, and it's supposed to be 60 degrees today, so I'm going to go shoot a 3D course. And since I'm going to do that, I'm going to get some knowledge from my longtime friend, Tim Gillingham, the hammer, who is on the uh, mic with me right now. What's happening, man?
1: Oh, just getting the first uh, cup of juice in me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, you've been having a hell of a season this year. Uh, what, you've only lost, what, one, maybe one tournament, two? What, not many.
1: Well, you know, I've shot three. I always shot 3D pretty consistent. It's the indoor. I have kind of a mental midget, but it's kind of a different game, you know. Yeah. Well, Think about.
0: W- where are you at this year? Have, have you? Uh, you've only lost one, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I ended up. Th- I ended up fourth this last one. We just finished this weekend, and I just made one bad shot on Friday that kind of hurt me, and I never did quite recover from it. Yes, mentally, so, just got in your head. But a I'm sitting. Bit. I'm sitting. I had a really super good second, first and second tournament. Second one, especially shot the highest score I've ever shot in my life. So, I mean, I'm shooting well. I mean, I I can't say enough about these Bowtech bows I'm shooting. They just make make my life easy. I mean, they do. I don't. Not, a lot of people think that's because I'm shooting for them, but you know, I, I'm at the point in my career I shoot whatever I want. You know, and and man, these things are good. I don't. I don't remember ever in my career having a five-year stretch with no bow problems. Yeah, Especially at my draw, like, it's always seen something seems to plague me.
0: Yeah, well, and you know? you, you've never shot – I mean, let's I mean, don't get mad at me. You're not getting any younger. Um, you, some of the scores you've put out, they're from the same stakes. You've never put out like that at at any age. Uh, and, again, this is from me watching on YouTube and bullshitting with buddies. You've put out some scores that last tournament – uh what did you end up with a 506 or something a four no,
1: it this- was total 499 but yeah okay. that's after the shootoff so you know it, it's just moments like that where you know I always strive to beat the the young guys you know by score it doesn't happen very often but you tend to I always feel like if I'm shooting a good enough score to make their shoot off that I'm where I need to be as a top senior pro you know I've I, I've always felt like it's tough to maintain your credibility as m- more as a senior pro, so you have to try to dominate rather than just show up. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, what um, on that last uh, that last shoot and the shoot before, and I, again, I just I have my wife and I we watch uh, some of the on the competition archery media, you know, on on YouTube. We we'll watch them, and uh, uh, the last two, not this last one, the two before. You could have skipped shooting the last target and still won, if I remember right. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a good ass whooping, man. That's that's solid. You've got a crazy stabilizer system on there. It's knowing you how I do. You don't do that for no reason. Do you just? It's just that much. You're just holding solid with that.
1: Oh, you know, I've been running. Uh, I've been running twenty-inch V-bars for quite a few, you know, several years. Just trying to, you know stabilization is about controlling the bone, controlling you. And I don't think it's as big a deal as a lot of their outside hunters looking in see, uh, I think stabilization is that last 15% of the, of the uh, equation. And, and when you are talking differences in stabilizers, like the little changes I'm making, those are two or 3%, 4%, you know, on the help side. Yeah. Um, and it's something I'm still just playing with, you know, it's just, trying to see if I can slow the float down per se or slow the drive by down to where it's, you know, manageable. You know, if you want to read a good book, read, uh, David Tubbs, high power rifle. And he talks about, you know, a lot about that in his book about building a position and the position in rifle shooting is designed to cancel motion. Cause you can time the shot with motion. If you're moving too fast, you can't hit nothing. Yeah. So so
0: I, I just I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead.
1: I go to a lot of these, I shoot a few NRL 22 matches and stuff like that. And, you know, they, it's funny to watch these guys. The moment you get them off their bipod and make them actually shoot standing, sitting, kneeling, most of them fold up like a wet noodle Cause they don't have a position. And I look at it like the reason I lost that was because I didn't have a position or I didn't, I didn't practice that particular thing enough, you know, to know, well, I didn't know what I was doing before I was doing it type deal, you know? Yeah. So.
0: Well, with, with, with stabilizer, and I just did a podcast on, uh, I just talked about like the second and third axis or well, first, second and third. And I guess now there's a fourth mm-hmm. with, I never paid attention to before, but uh, I yeah. And uh, a- what's <laughs> go ahead. You'll probably explain it better than I did on the podcast. <laughs>
1: There is a fourth, but it's irrelevant. The fourth only exists for somebody that wants to move their sight in and out without having any left or right. Yeah, yeah. You know that—that that was Gene Luke come up with that years ago. I mean, it's right. I mean, for guys that will say, like a reading and you can't reach the distance, but you don't want to move your sight in all the way." You know, you, you have to set your sight bar up where it's perfectly—you know, not moving left or right, basically. You know, when you move it in and out, it's kind of dumb to do that, in my opinion. Um. I would never do that because just taking my sight on and off a lot of times you just tighten and loosen. You know, I don't use the knob; I use a screw. Yep. You, know, you just tighten and loosen it too much. You just change where the sight ends up.
0: Yeah. Well, and I didn't really go into great depth because I told people just to read about it and do not, um, you know, don't don't incorporate that in anything you're doing. But uh, when you're, you know, when you're trying to exp- when you're talking about like the uh, two or three percent. Uh, to the good when you're when you're messing with your stabilization system what one thing I s- started doing with my, my wife to try to explain it to her I don't know if you're seen them but you can unscrew your field tip and you can screw this laser into the end of your arrow you know go to full draw right. and, and see pin float um with that laser uh because people be at the the house you know I learned a lot of this shit from guys like you or Tony Clem or Powell, you know whatever like how to to get a bow to aim, you know, like solid or aim steady. And, you know, a lot of people today just throw a bunch of, you know, shit on their bow and they don't really understand the effect or what happens. And so, you know, on my end, like right now, I kind of got a goofy system on, but it's just what held the best. And I started, you know, towards the end, I was stacking weights on the back of the riser, just those little flat pucks, right? Just screwing them on and it, it's for me i use that laser initially just to watch it and then obviously i shoot groups but there is a reason you have all that shit on your bow and there's a reason if i go into the back country i have a nine pound bow or whatever it's right. not for looks it's it's for when the shot counts and i've got you know yeah, bad footing or you know whatever why don't go into this
1: yeah let me, let me go into that yeah. i mean because this is a subject that's coming up a lot more and more and more and Stabilization is very, very, very misunderstood, even at the very high levels. Um, You look at Kyle Douglas, for example. Kyle's my travel partner, arguably the best archer in the world right now. Um, The kid's phenomenal. Uh, He runs 28 ounces on his front bar and like 24 on his rear. So what we're trying to do with stabilization is create moments of inertia. Moments of inertia for anybody that really wants the layman's definition is Basically the amount of force it takes to move that handle at the middle. So if you take your stabilizers off your bow and you grab your riser and you twist it, it's easy to move fast, right? You can twist it back and forth, you can move it all over the freaking place. And uh the moment you put tile stabilizer on you try to grab a hold of the riser and twist it at the middle, you aren't gonna move much. Okay? And I just with my four bar system, I just got those moments of inertia a different way. So it's either weight and length or it's length, okay? So, I've got those four 30-inch bars on there. I got four ounces on the front on each two bars, and I got five and six on the rear. So, I got way less weight than he does, but I'm probably creating the same amount of moments of inertia, you know, you know the same effect, per se. And, you know, and I'm just still playing with it, but aiming is about, it's a give-and-take scenario, right? So, if you're going to run a four-pound bow, You can't put a a real heavy stabilizer on it because you don't have the resistance to hold it up. Okay? Aiming is about the ratio of mass weight versus holding weight or versus leverage. And that leverage comes from holding weight and you having your like perfect. And one thing I'd caution guys about shooting an overly light bow in the field is is it's very difficult to shoot. One of the jobs of a stabilizer is to hold the bow in place until the arrow clears it. Okay. Um, they've got this little mantis thing. They, they got on the market now that measures your, your bow movement after the shot. And it's just a little laser. They put that on my bow at, at indoor national and said it was one of the best they've ever seen after the shot. Well, I mean, it stands to reason. It's like a super cub sitting up there with big wings, you know, it's, just, it's floating around. And, you know, even though the wind's buffeted around, it still, you know, centers itself. So
0: go into that a little bit more.
1: Well, you know, at the, you know, I, I, I encourage everybody to shoot and do all their tuning through paper because paper tells the lies. If I get a, if I get a bow, for example, uh, that's really lightweight, it's going to be very difficult for me to shoot repeatedly through paper. And at the moment of truth, when I'm shaking, and I got a bull charging in, and my adrenaline's pounding, it's you're basically, in a sense, it's very difficult to shoot a bow with the same tune that you tuned when you were dead calm. Okay, I guess. So you. Yeah. having all this this weight, like I, I run a, a counter slide. When we build a hunting setup, it's just kind of a it's kind of a concession for portability, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as good as what. I can do with my, my tournament bow, but it's pretty damn close. When I can walk back to 140 yards and, and keep them in 12 inches with a pin. I mean, it's, it's, if I put a scope on my hunting bow, I might be able to, sometimes I wonder if I don't shoot it better sometimes, but, uh, it's just always this yin and yang. If I, if I want to run Kyle's 20, give you an example. Kyle has 28 ounces on the front of a 30 inch bar, right?
0: I saw that. That thing looks like a
1: sex toy. So his, yeah, his holding weight is 24 pounds, okay? I promise you there's hardly a bow hunter out there that even knows what 24 pounds of holding weight is or feels like or (laughs) feels like in comparison to 10 or 12 or 15 or 18. And, and, And conversely, my setup, where I'm a little bit lighter and longer, I'm actually running... I think I was at 19 and a half this weekend, but I'm going to bump it up to like 20 to 20.5. And that's, those are crazy numbers when you talk to the average boner, because they don't have any concept of, of, of how that affects their ability to hold and make the shot easy to do instead of difficult. You know what I'm saying? They just assume they can't aim or the bow doesn't aim or, you know, what have you. There's a lot of people that come to me like, I just can't hold still. Well, I never could really hold still. That's why I learned to trigger the shot, you know. Um, and Tubbs goes into that in his book about guys that, you know, even with a rifle that shoot surprise shots versus guys that time the shot. And the time shot guys are way more accurate. You're starting to see that, you know, more and more. You know, Kyle Douglas does shoot the same way I do. He's a guy that, for example, was a 30X shooter. I mean, with a back tension release. Won Vegas is a young adult shot that way and then all of a sudden he decided to try timing the shot you know he calls me up one day and he's like hey I tried punching yeah I said how'd it go that shot four thirty 30x's in a row I'm like really so that's very dangerous you know a very dangerous guy now that has the ability to shoot clean with a surprise shot but realizes that him having control over when it goes is more valuable and more consistent because the number one people have with that problem they have with that shooting style they think they're doing something bad, right?
0: Well, let I just say let's dive into this a little bit more before I get a ton of people calling me to tell me sure. they're going to start punching. I would I would say so I shoot a hinge not punch.
1: and
0: yeah nope. it's a con- okay.
1: Let's, first of all, let's say it's not punch.
0: Well, some people well, let we'll rewind in a minute because some people it's not. some people it is, and that's where I want you to go into this. for for me, I uh, shoot a hinge. um, uh, that's the best release that I can shoot because the way my brain works. But I can shoot a controlled shot with a trigger, pretty damn good. But overall, I'm more consistent, you know, with a hinge. but my my brain will fail me at times to where I might zip one off in the buckwheat with a puncher or with an index finger release or a thumb button because my brain doesn't, doesn't handle it. Well, I, what I try to can, no, go, no, go ahead.
1: Part of the reason is because you're telling yourself probably it doesn't handle it. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of coming up with solutions, you know, Lanny Basham, who's probably the premier mental coach in the industry of shooting. He can't figure out why all archers, these all these archers are shooting surprise shots. He said, he said, you think we didn't deal with anticipation in rifle shooting? He said, we did. He said, we just didn't give people careers on it. We didn't dwell (laughs) on it all the time. We came up with solutions for it. We came up with mental management techniques for it. And most people just simply, and I guess the difference between you and I, or you and me and most people is nobody taught me how to shoot a bow. So I just basically started shooting a bow like I did a rifle. Okay. You know, you, you shoot a rifle offhand, how do you do it? You shoot a pistol offhand, how do you do it? You dang sure don't squeeze yeah. until it surprises you. You think Jerry Mick looks out there sh- shooting a surprise <laughs> shot? Yeah. Well, Highly doubt it. Let,
0: let's be realistic, though, and this is something, I'm glad we're diving into this. I am not shooting a surprise shot with a hinge. I know when that fucker's going off. I have no doubt. Like, it's, I have a click, it clicks, and then, you know, I know it's going off, um, so it's not that much different from a. But, but it. Go ahead.
1: But it also has one requirement. It has one requirement that you must stay in the place you want to hit. Okay. Yep. Your pin has to be able to hold there. Okay. Or you're not going to hit there. Okay. Yep. You either have to hold in the middle, or you have to learn how to fire in the middle. Those are the two ways to shoot a shoot a shot. You know, you want to go back to. Let's go back to this weekend. Top two guys in the shoot off. Guy named Remington Boyer. You heard of him?
0: Oh yeah, I watch all the. Yeah yeah yep. I He's watch a new all. kid, right? Yep.
1: Remington's been pretty consistent. Won the ASA Classic last year or the year before, I can't remember. He just started punching. You want to see some of the targets this kid is posting up. And this is a kid that can hold like a brick, man. And it's just crazy what he can, you know, what, what some of these guys can do. I could never shoot like they did. I could never hold a bow like some of these kids could, ever my whole life. I mean, it's just no most tall people can. Just, you know, look at the tree at the top. It moves more, right? Yeah, but... So, uh,
0: I, let's i i really want to i want to pound on okay. this tar- i want to I, i'm not shitting you i want to dive into this super deep because well and you can explain it better because i then than i can because i shoot a hinge because i'm comfortable with one but i can grab a trigger and shoot it fine as well um overall if i shoot 100 arrows i'm probably going to have more in the dot at 100 yards with my hinge and when i say that meaning I may have the worst outlier maybe with my puncher Um, and that's my own fault. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And so I'm just a little bit more consistent with the hinge, but that's mental management or whatever you want to call it, where I think people get in big trouble. And I really want to get your take on this is the thing. I always talk shit about target panic saying it's like Voldemort. Just don't talk about it. It won't be an issue, right? When you start to dwell on it and your entire life revolves around it, to me it 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 really probably isn't necessarily when when you run into shooting issues it's probably more an incorrect form problem um you know overbode things like that because if you get to where you can control the trigger you know fairly uh fairly decent and when i say fairly decent meaning if you don't totally spaz out um i mean i'm holding what i'm holding my pin is as steady with the puncher as it is with a uh, index or excuse me a hinge um and so it's not like i'm holding steadier at 80 yards with a hinge it's just that the way that i execute that in comparison to an index finger or a thumb button occasionally i get an outlier because you know i zipped off the trigger or whatever with the the well, puncher yeah i
1: tell you what are my solutions if i take and Joel Maxwell told me the same thing. He said, Hey, I, when I hunt, I who should shoot an index because it's more practical, right? He said, it, and it, you know, I shoot it really well, but it is very difficult to aim dead in the center. And when I pick up a back engine I can put the pin in the middle. It's just another demon. I can't make it fire. Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And uh, it's all your fear of missing. Okay. So one of the things that I, that I know, one of the more difficult things that I struggled with over my career it's like in FIDA or say Reading. we got coming up this next week. They got big dots, right? I have a very difficult time aiming dead in the center of the dot. You put a one inch dot down there. I focus on it and my shot fires on it. Okay. So I could shoot a one inch dot and shoot probably, let's say 70 yards and probably shoot an inch and a half group. If I shot a four inch dot, I'd probably shoot a four inch group. So, with my hunting bow, one thing I've, I've learned to do is I've learned to shoot a rectangular target, okay? Mm-hmm. I take a piece of cardboard, depends on the distance I'm shooting, and it's just the main criteria is I want to be able to see my pin in it, because sometimes our hind pins are covering up what we're aiming at, and that's just not a good recipe. So, if I'm shooting 140 yards, I'll take a, a piece of cardboard that's probably... Oh, probably 12 by 16 painted black around the edges with a, with a spray can and I will aim at that. And you'd be surprised how much more relaxed you're aiming.
0: Oh, I'd so agree much with that. of
1: this is just mental, mental conditioning. Okay. And if, if you've got guys that got target panic, I'm going to recommend one book for them. This book is called panic away and panic away is a book on how they treat panic attacks, which is basically what, target panic is and becomes, it becomes a panic attack because it gets progressively worse when it's not checked, when it doesn't, when it's not, you know, like Lanny Batchel said, when you don't come up with solutions to kind of work on that anticipation, then it goes unchecked and then you start fearing it and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Okay. And then you have to go and shoot a back tension. And the moment you shoot a back tension because it's a totally different feeling, you break that link. And so people, Myself, I never, I, I went through periods of it. I actually went through periods. I shot a backhand for two straight years. you know how many perfect scores I shot on indoors in two years? Probably I'll not. Keep in mind, in 1995-ish, I shot 300s on a Vegas spot, I remember, for a month and a half straight without missing a 10. Mm-hmm. A month and a half, and I was averaging probably 25 X. And you oh, know, that's what, 30 years ago? staying here? Yeah. Twenty five, twenty five years ago.
0: We're getting um, old, by the way. But yeah, go ahead.
1: So when I moved, when I moved <laughs> down here to Utah, I told myself I was the guy always telling people I got to learn to shoot back tension. I'm never going to make it if I don't. You know, and I gave it two solid years shooting every type of surprise shot you could imagine, whether it was a pinky finger, whether it was a pull through or a back tension, what have you. you know how many three hundreds I shot in two years? I don't know. Not many. Two. None. Two. <laughs> None? Two. Two? Two. This, no. ended in like two th- this ended in like 2005 right there or something like that. So I just got disgusted and said, well, this ain't fun. I win everything at a local regional level. The only reason I can't do it nationally is because it's between my ears, point A and point B. So I'm going to shoot the way I shoot, the hell with everybody else. And that's – I won my first pro tournament that year. All right. Which what ne- never look back because now I view it as the only way I shoot a bow.
0: Well, I just say let's let's talk about that because I don't have issues shooting a hinge and I don't have an issue shooting a puncher for the most part. I shoot both of them fine. I'm more comfortable with a okay. hinge. No big yeah. deal. When it gets windy, you know what goes on my hand? A wrist rocket. Because what you talked about it, when there's no wind. I am at my peak performance with a hinge. I don't have any problem hold it in the dot. I'm consistent. Throw wind in there as you know, or as you get older, you know, age and little, you know, not quite as steady, you're moving more. The thing is is with the hinge, you kind of live and die by it in the sense of when it's windy, it's a problem. And I cannot time the shot with a hinge and execute it correctly. I'm I'm punching off the hinge. I'm just ripping through well, it fast.
1: Yeah. And you're right. I, I always said if I was training like beta shooters, I would, I would, or kids, I would make them shoot both. Well, I would make them understand that they should not fear either one of them, and they can use either one any time they want, but they need to choose whichever one they personally shoot the best for the given condition.
0: And and, and that's kind of what I want to round the horn with with all this. Is like Tim and I aren't. I, I mean, I don't feel I'm not telling Tim he's wrong shooting a puncher, and I don't think you're telling me I'm wrong shooting a hinge. You need to shoot what you're most comfortable with and perfect that and don't tell don't have anyone tell you it's wrong. Because when people get a hold of me and they're like, man, I've been listening to you. I'm thinking about switching to a hinge. And I'm like, are you shooting an index finger? Fine. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, I teach guys to kind of hook over it a little bit more. You fire it towards more towards the end of your finger. But, you know, set it a little bit stiff where you're not, you know, really you can fart and it goes off. Get comfortable, you know, with that shot. And if that's what you shoot good, you don't need to go to a hinge. And if you're shooting, you know, a hinge fine, you don't need to go to, there's no absolutes other than you need to do the, everything the same time and obviously perfect what you, what you have. And in my opinion, so I shoot a hinge a bunch and then when it's windy, I grab a wrist rocket. I have two marks. I shoot a little bit left with a, you know, like an inch left, not much with, with a, with a puncher compared to my hinge. But I don't have any issue with either one. If I have a choice, I'm going to shoot a hinge. I think what's happening yeah. now, and I'd like to get your opinion on this about, you know, guys writing books and it, you know, what do they call that? The people with the panic also have the pill. Um, have, the, have the what? The people that create the panic also create the pill. So the people that create whatever panic, like target panic, are also going to create the pill to fix it, so to speak. Um, So you have a lot of guys really – you know, diving into this target panic thing lately where it almost might cause some people to get it or or maybe dwell on it. When in reality, if you hold steady, you execute a good shot, you know, it. it well, talk about this. I mean, I, I, I want you to get your thoughts on it because you shoot a controlled punch or whatever you want to call it. At any time, are you spazzing out during that shot? Are you pretty confident the whole time through? I mean, you, you look at Kyle.
1: No, I, I, I don't know how... I- I laugh at the. I, mean, I To me, it's like a way more dominant way to shoot a bow. And, and that's what's kind of given rise to some of these top level guys. You know, Jimmy Lutz is won world cup last year. Or I think it was last year and he won Arizona cup. I mean, I watched him shoot Arizona cup and he was, they were jumping all over that trigger, but he still won. Yeah. There's no, there's no style points on it. <laughs> and you know, guys give us crap for the little pump banks we make every now and then, but you just have to understand where that little pump fake comes from, it comes from that same fear that makes a back tension guy just lock up and not get it to fire. Okay. Your, your, your mind is, your mind is drifting. Okay. So your mind's thinking about the wrong crap, right? You're not focused. And that's usually why whenever you see guy do that little pump fake, it's followed by a swish, right? (laughs) Because instantaneously he's somewhat embarrassed by that or what have you. He moat, just hyper-focuses right after that, you
0: know. I was just going to say the and last so, three pump fakes you made, you shot 14s uh, on YouTube, so I, I can't say that. With what you're talking about, and I want to I want to key in on this a little bit, what Tim said, in my opinion, is 100% true. If I'm aiming at something at 64 yards, and let's say it's between two trees and, and I mentally kind of fail, and all of a sudden now my forearm tenses or whatever happens – and now I'm starting to shake and I can't get the release to go off. What Tim is saying, that yeah, little pump, same thing. You're thinking,
1: you're thinking about the tree. Yeah. Instead of where you're going to hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And now uh, w- w- with guys, it's the, when I, when you see that pump fake, what's good about it or what I see with you or a Kyle or whoever, you're still not ripping it off. You, you know, you, you gather or, yourself yeah, together and let her go.
1: It's not attached to the trigger finger. And you got it, you You're, you have to understand, we're shooting super light triggers. I mean, my, my trigger is somewhere around two to two to four ounces. Kyle's is probably somewhere around the same. You know, there's several guys coming up to the gold tip booth now and just trying to figure it out. There's guys that try it. There's guys that go back. I mean, they, they're not comfortable with it. But, um, but man, he's just taking it to a new level. And I watch a kid walk around a practice course, and he don't miss. But th- there's not enough. There's, the problem is, is, there's not there's not enough instruction on how to make the bow hold good enough to do whatever you want. Well, you know, guys just pick a bow up and shoot it. I picked a hunting bow up a couple of years ago, and just and a lot of times I'm I'm really lax on my hunting bows, right? And I picked this bow up, put a stabilizer system on it, and I'm just the bow's just sagging low because I'm holding like. 12, 13 pounds, you know, and I just, I, I shoot 22 pounds the whole year hunting or shooting. Now I got this bow at 12 pounds of holding weight and all it does is want to hang low. Well, eventually I put 20 or 21 pounds of holding weight and it was a whole new bow. So, when
0: you're because talking about holding weight exp- for people that aren't understanding, cause I went into this in a podcast earlier, but in case people skip that one, Talk about the holding weight, because I have found there is a, for me, a specific holding weight that I, within reason, that is my happy place, right? And I go way above that or way below. I'm just not as accurate. Talk about that a little bit. Right.
1: Well, I think, you know, this is one of the things that I think needs to be really, like, showcased to the average guy is how important the draw length number is. You know, and the draw length changes, keep this in mind, it changes. The draw link itself should not change because the draw length should be set to where the string hits you in the front of the nose. Okay. The loop length might need to change based on how long the, the releases that you're shooting and what type of anchor points you have. So a lot of people just keep changing the draw length when they should be changing their loop length or their release length. And so it's leverage, right? It's, it's give and take. I can't hold Kyle's 28 ounces up if I don't have 24 pounds back on the back end for leverage to kind of hold it up. Then you got to be strong enough to do that, too. So um, one of the greatest things that a guy showed me about three years ago, Jason Goykin, great shooter. Um, I remember where he lives, somewhere back east. But he won Vegas as an, as an amateur, shot 30x as the last day. It's just a great shooter. Um, but he showed me something I could do on my Botech cams where we knocked the module pins out, out of engagement and just rotate the module to actually increase your holding weight. Now I have a system by which I can, I can literally change my holding weight by a half a pound to a pound. Where we I was messing with it up at Botech the other day and you could go like, you can move your module half the distance Thickness of the pin that holds the module in, and that's a three-pound shift in your holding weight. Uh, so so it's I, pretty tremendous.
0: I did this last night, and and on the cam and system. It, it, go ahead.
1: The great thing is it doesn't mess with your draw weight near as much as if you know, when you have to. Sh- you can get it another way by short pegging the cam by by basically moving your 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 draw stop shorter and shorter. It depends on the, it depends on the bow system as to how you're going to get it. The problem with most systems are you have to mess something else up to increase your holding weight so if a, for example if a company comes out with 65 70 75 and 80 percent modules right that's going to give you a pretty good range of holding weights but keep this in mind there's five percent difference between each one of them if you're pulling 70 pounds that's three and a half pounds split per module okay so you have three and a half pounds different holding weight per module if, if everything falls exactly on, you know, on that 5%. So, that's not good enough for most pro shooters. Or, you know, when you know your number, Like, I shot Break the Barriers a couple weekends ago out in California, and I had my bow set on 22 pounds of holding weight. It kicked my butt all weekend. You know, it was good for one shot. But you had to have the strength to hold it back there. So, if I back it off somewhere around... 20 to 20 and a half, I think it'll be, it'll be manageable. It just puts a tiny little valley in there. Most guys think a valley is this long, you know, an elite used to brag about the, the dwell time. That's a bad thing actually. Cause what dwell time is, is what we call trigger or barrel lock time, you know, with a rifle or trigger lock time with a shotgun, you know, the time you pull the trigger till the projectile leaves the point where you can influence it. Okay. The slower that is, the less, re- least responsive it is. Now with the back tension where you don't know where it's going off, you don't normally influence it as bad so you can get away a little bit more For a guy that's uh, shooting like I do where I want the pin that I want it to hit where the pin was. I need a very short Valley and it's a fine line between having too short of a Valley that you just can't control cause it just takes too much muscle. You know, and being able to hold long enough to say on an elk that's holding up on you. So it's just, just it's a give and take scenario. Let's
0: let's talk about it with what I did last night. So I have um, um, an, an <laughs> Evo XF, and it has like ninety, eighty-five, eighty percent um, adjustment for let off. But when you go from ninety to eighty-five, it, it technically shortens your draw length a little bit, right? Because the cam's not rotating. So what I did is I bumped the let off down. And then I twisted the cables up a little bit to lengthen the draw to go back to where my draw was at. Um, And and I bumped up the poundage a little bit while doing so. I also did that to because I have that specific holding weight I want. Now, you have to be not scared to do it, one, two, and have the knowledge base to know how to tweak these things. But you are going to – go ahead (laughs) –
1: I see be surprised how even guys out in the tournament scene are scared to do that by themselves. I mean, you know, you have to learn how to use the system. You have to learn how your bow works, your release works, everything in your in your stuff. You know, stuff. Don't rely on other people to. You got to learn somewhere, but don't rely on other people to do it. Because yeah. chances are, the guy at the bow shop, you know, may or may not even know or doesn't want to spend the time to do it.
0: Yeah, and and what I wanted is I was at on one of my bows I was like sixty eight point nine pounds but it was at 90% let off. And I was just learning the bow and I'm like, well, I don't want 90% let off. I just have never been a high let off guy. Bumped the let off way down, but now my cam's not, you know, quote unquote, rotating the same way it was cause I'm hitting that draw peg at a different time. So then I wanted to change where my cams are advancing or rotating. So I twisted up the cables equally. Um, so now I'm technically lengthening my draw back to where it was. Um, now that I've changed those, uh, pegs, so I'm getting the draw back. I'm bumping up the poundage a little bit, but I'm also lowering my holding weight where I have more holding weight. I went from 90 to 80 then. So now my draw, you know, air quotations is shorter because I'm hitting that draw stop quicker. Then I'm twisting up the cables. So now I'm getting that draw length back, but I'm also increasing my poundage and my holding weight. You got to be comfortable with doing that, but you are going to become a better archer one because yeah. you know what you're doing. But two, I'm going to hold better
1: with yeah. that. About seventy percent of your, your listeners just got there in the headlights.
0: Well, that's why we're talking. <laughs> so
1: I now it just kind of makes it's complicated to do what you just said, and on some bows it screws your string links up and, and mess your tune up. Which, you know, I, it, it, it's going to change your sight tape. It's going to change your speed. It's going to change everything.
0: It did. It, it, know, it. I went.
1: I was in the beauty of the system. I'm talking. I was in Arizona Cup, right? And we're in the middle of the matches, and it was a match that I I was pretty comfortable, had a pretty good lead, and I said, "Man, I I need a little bit more holding weight. I'm just the winds just blowing me all over the place." So I went back to the chair, and I just cracked that module and just moved it just a, I don't know, thirty second of an inch. Went back up, and first arrow went right in the ten ring, and. It was just a night and day difference. Just a little bit more resistance to, to kind of settle that thing back in faster. But when you start talking like, "Hey, I'm going to short peg my cam with my hydraulic," which means I got to twist my cables back up. One thing I caution people never to do is don't go twisting on your string because that will really mess your uh, your uh, peep rotation and stuff up a lot of times. You know, I, uh,
0: I agree with that. I uh,
1: work with Justin, with Justin at Mad Goat you know, we're partners with that. And, you know, it's one of the things I got a string on my ASA table right now. And I think I, I think I screwed it up by twisting on it because it's just not stable at folder draw anymore because, you know, what basically I, what I mean by not stable is it's if I put my nose on the peep, I can move it pretty easy. Um, and that comes from twisting it after it's been made. So you have a different twist rate under, the, you know, under the serving as you do outside of the serving. And, so I caution people against twisting their bowstring. You can, you mess around a little bit with the cables and be okay.
0: I I, I would agree, uh, especially if you've got your string set and the peeps coming back correctly, <laughs> and you, then you start fucking with it it's even worse. But
1: no, that's one of the things though I I, I challenge bowtech with is to try to come up with a solution to this, so it's e- maybe so it's easy to teach. Yeah, you know you got you got it's got to be easy to teach because if it's complicated, then people just damn they just freeze up.
0: no i i agree especially on a super complicated cam system so the the thing is though while we're talking every cam system is different you know some bows can Uh be yoke tuned some you know technology is amazing because in 95 when you're talking about those bows compared to now it's insane but like you can bump the
1: some of them are a lot easier to tune than the bows now frankly
0: the old ones, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you didn't have a million and a half adjustments. You, you didn't, not on all of them, but compared to now, if you look at old Hoyt command cams compared to the cam system now, that's a night and day difference. Um, and I'm just bringing up command cams because I like those cams. Really. Were those were
1: those the hatchet cams that are on like the Pro Stars and stuff?
0: Yeah, I think
1: uh those are no no, those are master Kings. Those are basically two cambos and I don't know. I never seen a problem with two cambos. I shot them awesome. As
0: long as you knew how to to adjust them, but nowadays you can and that's kind of what I was getting at is you can adjust uh the let-off with a module, the draw length, you can adjust the cable rod out and in a little bit different than you used to be able to. You have string stoppers. You got a lot uh, of adjustments, but once you learn the basic geometry of how cams work, you can figure out just about anything by looking at it. If you know what you're, you know, you're, you're doing There's yeah. definitely do's and don'ts. You don't want to mess with, but like last night, while we're talking about all this, I, I don't, we have this best of the best tournament coming up and I really don't want to lose. So I'm trying to get like, I'm not being lax on a bow, meaning, you know, oh I'm shooting pretty good. I mean, I'm really wanting to, to win this thing. Cause one, it's like five grand. Um, but I, so, what I did is I got my holding weight where I wanted to, and then I start messing with the, the stabilization system. And it's not throw a front bar and a back bar out and let her rip. Like a lot of guys do that. You may not even need that shit on your bow. You don't even know. Like, you want to have a purpose when you're setting oh, your, you, your, trust your trust bow.
1: Trust me, up. you need it because if you're going up against a guy without it, if you, oh. you're going up against a guy with a stabilizer system and not. The chances of a guy
0: winning without a stabilizer system is not very good. Let me rephrase. Let let me put context into that. You may be throwing things on your bow in the wrong place, the wrong angle. You may Mm -hmm. not be getting the best bet. You need a stabilizer. But what I'm saying, I see guys throwing on 12-inch front bars, 10-inch back bars for no rhyme or reason, just because everybody has them. There is a reason Mm -hmm. that's on there, a position it should be – a best position for it and a certain amount of weight, uh, that should be on there. Like I stack some weights on my bow. I have a little bit more on the backside than I do up front. Not every bow is the same.
1: Yeah. And and I would tell you that weight against the bow is wasted weight.
0: Well, talk about that a little bit.
1: Okay. We're creating moments of inertia. Moments of inertia are created by weight at the end of a stiff rod. Okay. Just like a tight wire, walker they they run a long rod you don't see them with one rod poking out one side that wouldn't work very well that's one bar systems just don't work as good as two bar systems because one bar systems do not have any correction for them say your bar starts to move to the right in the front if you don't have a rear bar to kind of rudder that it's going to move a lot further before it actually recovers and comes back that's the point of the two bar system two bar systems also help you offset the weight of your accessories. And out west when we hunt with a quiver on the side of the bow at a sight, you have to have the bow naturally holding level. Okay? And the one thing that people don't do enough of is adjust the first axis in the bow sight. Because a lot of people think that their first axis needs to be straight with the riser. That is not true in the least bit. Okay? It has no bearing on anything. Because you have a pin stabilized projectile that once it gets out of the bow it stabilizes it has no choice but to fall vertically, okay? It's not gonna shoot across the horizon. right. Um, so, on my hunting bows, when I'm packing a quiver full of arrows, I stand there with my eyes closed, draw the bow back, and if it does not naturally hold level, I can adjust my left stabilizer bar, but I don't use the left stabilizer bar, I use a, a beat singer slide. So everything sits off the side of the bow, it's just very, very efficient. So I can either put it further away from the bow, or I can add more weight. But if I get it to the point where I still feel like it's making my grip unnatural, most of the time I will adjust the first axis in the bow. And a lot of sites, you know, I know you like Spot Hog, but one of the problems with Spot Hog is there's no first axis adjustment. Okay.
0: Well, I actually recently switched for that reason. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, but but there's no first axis adjustment, and then and, and and I beat up on you a little bit on that, and got Josh Spot Hog. He's like, "Why do you think it needs a first axis?" I said, "Because if you force it." What is the holy grail of rifle shooting? Um, Form-wise. What's that again? What's the holy grail of rifle shooting in terms of form-wise? Set up on the shot.
0: Oh, I got what you're saying. It's natural
1: natural point of aim.
0: Yep. Target acquisition.
1: If you force a rifle to, 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 if you push a rifle to the left to get it on target, it's always going to recover back to the right. A bow is no different. Okay. A bow is exactly the same. So if you're forcing the, the sight, back to the left or the bow back to the left with your grip to get your bow level, your sight level, you're going to string arrows left and right because you can't maintain that, that pressure all the way through, you know, the arrow gets out of the bow. So uh, like when I shot squat hug, I always had to put a washer up under the bottom mounting hole on the block. And that just basically does the same thing as making the first axis adjustment and for anybody that doesn't know what the first axis adjustment is the last thing i do on a sight the, it's the two screws where the the bar the mounting bar hits the horiz there the vertical you know the vertical uh slide okay so where that mounts usually the bottom hole is walled out so that you can you can move that that bar left or right and, and most people actually hold a bow with a natural right can, especially with a quiver arrows on the side of the bow
0: it, I just the podcast I did before this one was on site leveling while I went through first second and third go into that in more detail Tim because I don't know that I explained it well enough the first go around but for the okay. first axis I well, just let said you your...
1: the, let me get my five minute site leveling seminar it right. not <laughs> even takes five minutes <laughs> the only thing you have to understand the only thing you have to understand is what the bubbles job is okay? The bubble's job is to tell you the position of the first axis. The first axis is the rack of pins and or the vertical rod that your site runs up and down on. That's the first axis, okay? So it's so what we do is we, you know, use a Hamsky level. It would be nice if more freaking site companies, i will call them out right here because none of them are, do a good job on this. Um, they sell you a $400 site, but they damn sure won't tell you how to level it um, or leave any features on it that make it easily to level. So when you level your, 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 your bubble, that second axis bubble needs to be set to where the pins are straight up and down and the, uh, the, your sight's moving perfectly plumb when you move it. The only importance of third axis, only, the only importance of it is that it has to not lie to you. We're trying to set it to where it doesn't lie to you. Okay. It has to run perpendicular to the plane of motion. Okay, so when you're swinging on an up and a downhill shot, if that bubbles cannon at all, it's going to run out to one side, and the reason you get left or right is because you're can the bow. Because lying to you. That being said, I have a line drawn with a level at the top of my garage door, at the very bottom, and then one in the middle. Okay, if you need to check yourself on a steep uphill and downhill because some people make form changes that mess their third axis up. So anything that affects the bow, you know, the bubble being pushed in or out with torque, that's why it has to be done a full draw. Cannot be done any other way. You might get lucky, you know, and two different shooters, the way they grip the bow, you, somebody else cannot level your bow. You have to do it yourself with your torque load on it if you want it perfect.
0: Okay, so I talked about this in the the first pod the podcast I did earlier where I had mentioned on that leveling it on a drawboard is not the same as leveling it when I say a drawboard on a last chance bow press or a spot hog or whatever. That will get you close, but it's not the same as you drawing it back. Um,
1: it doesn't work unless you have a way to measure your torque load at full draw. Now you, you, there are ways of doing it. I mean, you can, if you've got a, a crometer or something and you measure the, the distance from your string to your arrow and you can duplicate it. But it takes five seconds with a freaking Hamsky tool. It really is not that difficult. Well,
0: uh, so what. Then, well, keep okay. going and I'll, bu- I'll, I'll bug you when we're done because there's a lot to this and I don't want to get people confused. But go ahead.
1: Okay. One of the things about, one of the big struggles with third axis, especially with hunting sites, is is that these hut sites do not leave you any place to attach, say, a Hamsky level, or you have to ha- put it on your sight bar, okay, or you have to put it on your riser. Keep in mind with the Hamsky tool, it's got the long pin on it. The pin, the idea behind the pin is that it, you can set it on your sight bar, and you can on 99% of tournament sites, but most hunting sites may make it difficult. So if you cannot put that Hamsky tool on your first axis, and use the pin and make, you know, you put the pin on a vertical line cause that pin just tells you, Hey, when I'm on a vertical line that I've scribed to the level or a plumb bob, it tells me the first axis is straight up and down at this angle. So I could see if my bubble's lying to me or not. Okay. If you cannot put it on the sight bar, put it anywhere else on the boat. Usually there's two holes in it now so you can run it in both axes. So if you have to put it on the, the sight bar itself, the only thing that matters, Let's say you put that pin on a vertical line when you're pointing straight out. That's why I have the line on my garage door straight out. So if I put that Hamsky pin that I've got on my sight bar straight out on that line and it doesn't read level, but say it reads a half a bubble to the left, the only thing that's important is that when I go down at a steep angle that it stays the same. Okay, Follow but,
0: me? Yeah, No, I'm glad you said that because that coincides with what I was talking about on the first podcast. Okay. Because so you can you can
1: do it a bunch of different ways. Um, if you're just running a pin site, you can just put the rack of pins on the vertical line and make sure that they're reading correctly. But keep in mind, if you've got a movable site with five pins, you have two first axes. Yep. Therefore, you know, they, they both need <laughs> well, to be true to each other.
0: Well, hold on. Let's wait. Let, before, okay, because I don't want to confuse people. So this is where when you have the rack of pins and you have a slider so when you do your first mm-hmm. axis and I'll just call that the uh the sight bar um you are leveling let's just say for layman's terms where the sight tape goes you know up and down and you let's say you just put a little level on that and you level it out tim don't have a corner I'm just uh, doing this in layman's terms now that's level to your bow but then as you have a rack of pins that's another dynamic on that, where you go in from your first to your second axis before you get to your third. And then you could do all this on a, let's say, a bright sight pro tuner. Um, but that bright sight pro tuner is only going to get you so close because once you mount it to your bow, and then you have the torque of your bow; it changes again. Did I explain that? Uh, Worth yeah, of shit?
1: yeah, things like right side tuners. Um, you, you you really don't even have to have a side on the bow to do your second. You can put it in a right side tuner. But the point is, is, it takes five seconds with any type of level or a half to do it. You know, I'll give. Let me give you a prime example. Okay, I have a black gold pro side, Right. That's what I hunt with. Um, really like it. Uh, one thing that I've challenged them on though is to the fact that they have two first axes. So I have pins and I set them from 40 to a hundred and then I have, you know, my slider that I, I run my bottom pin off. I have a sight tape that I run my bottom pin off. So whatever I'm shooting, the furthest with is what I'm going to default to. So I'll third axis level to the, uh, the mover bar, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then when I get it perfect, I'll put the rack of pins, you know, on my vertical line and just verify that it reads the same. Okay. You follow me?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and if there is any error, sometimes there is, it's only going to be a half a pin width, maybe at 20 yards, which is fairly irrelevant in our situation. So,
0: well, Let's let's rewind just a little because I want to backtrack. If people listen to the podcast before this that I did to now, so you're a, you're a redneck construction worker. You don't have the uh, a pro shop near you. One of the things I suggested, and I want you to either agree or tear this up, was get yourself a four foot level and a hamsky um, level. What I like to do. 48.
1: What
0: are you well, using a four foot level for? Now, don't I'm getting there. You're going to have a heart attack before. Uh, back in the day,
1: you're I, I would go teach you stuff that's irrelevant.
0: Well, back in the day, I would go from my um, limb pocket to limb pocket, and then and I was
1: it completely a hundred percent irrelevant to site level.
0: So now, hold on. Let me let me finish, and then and then I figured you would throw your, your your you know you would eat this up, which is good. I mean, I but I would I would make sure. The the bow was level, and then I would want to make sure that the uh, first axis was level, and then I would level the second axis, and then you put the ham ski on, and check it. That's how I used to do it, and there's nothing wrong with that except that it takes more time, and there's things in there you don't need to do. So go ahead and eat that okay. alive. If Throw if you, your two cents in.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you fundamentally understand that the the uh, first axis can be wherever the hell it wants. Then why do you need to level the first axis to the bow? It means nothing. It doesn't do anything.
0: Well, so you
1: know, and
0: then we first,
1: first hamster videos. They wanted to do it that way. I said, I don't like to teach stuff that's irrelevant because it confuses people. Well, okay? it made, made me feel doing things that make no difference at all. It has no bearing on the sight level. It okay? made
0: it made me feel warm and fuzzy because that's what I used to do. Well, so I just. <laughs> it might
1: make you feel warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't do a damn thing. So you're, you're basically assuming your limb pockets are a level, are what square,
0: square level. Yeah,
1: they're not. So and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter because the the first axis can be where the hell it wants, and your bow is perfectly level. Most of my bows, if you look at the riser, the bottom of my first axis is probably kicked out a good three of an inch to the right. Because I run with a slight right cant, especially on my hunting boats.
0: Gotcha, man. This is going to you know, be yeah. hard for people. Oh, very,
1: so I simplify it for people. Put a level on your first axis. Check the bubble in your pins or your or your uh, you know whatever kind of you know if you're running a single pin or a five pin sight, you know you need to make that bubble that you're using to to run everything straight up and down. You know, square you know, 90 degrees to the, uh, the pins and or the, you know, the vertical slide, okay? N- now,
0: hold on, I'm going to rewind. For all intents and
1: purposes, all intents and purposes, you're done for flat ground, okay?
0: Well, well hold, on, hold on, hold on, because I want to make sure people understand what you're saying, what I said earlier. What I did, what I was saying earlier is I was hypothetically, if the limb pockets were level, I was leveling the bow, ideally, but maybe not, and then I was leveling the leveling- first... Go ahead.
1: yeah, you're leveling the first to the bow, which is irrelevant.
0: Okay, that's what I want to dive into. So for people that listen to the first podcast where I level the first uh, access to my riser, let's say or or the limb pockets, what Tim is saying is shit can that throw that uh, hamsky on your first access or or your 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 bar, whatever you want to call it where your sight tape goes, the vertical portion of of your site. Level that to your second axis or your scope housing level. Did I explain that? Yeah, just make
1: same? your bubble, make your bubble read level when you've got when you have the first axis plumb bob. Okay, when you have it perfectly straight up and down. If you're a pin shooter, then your pins are straight up and down, in the bubble, you know, if you're say for example, here's a really good visual. Okay, so Spot Hog, for example, has a wire in their site. So that's their the wire is the first axis because that's what we line our pins up with. Correct. Yep. All right. So this is kind of where I got the idea for the, the pin on the, on the, you know, on the hampset tool. And spot is very easy to level because you simply just put that pin on a vertical line. And then your bubbles level at, you know, straight out from you. Doesn't have to be done at full draw because it doesn't matter. Torque's not affecting the bubble there. When you go downhill and uphill, that's where the torque affects the bubble. And so you do the same thing, you draw the bow back, you put the wire on the vertical line, does the bubble read level if it doesn't, then you tip it in or out till it's level, and then you're done, and then you just adjust your first axis to where you naturally hold bubble. Because the second axis bubble is slaved to the first axis. No matter what you do behind that, nothing's gonna affect their relationship to each other. Because it's- Because they're slaved together.
0: Gotcha. No, that you you
1: could have twenty degrees of cant in your first axis, and every time you level the bubble, your first axis is still straight up and down. Now, you will get an error. I will concede that you will get an error because your sight is above your arrow, until the sight and the arrow come together, there's an error. That happens at about two or three yards. Though. Yeah, I was going to say mind. that's
0: it. Like I was just going to say that's like ten feet, but yeah, <laughs> that's
1: close. Yeah, a, yeah, so you know when I get it, when I get a good can, my first act yeah, I'll hit an arrow shaft to the left at two yards, but that's pretty much irrelevant when you're to, to virtually anything.
0: Now, before the ham ski and in uh, you know you getting involved in this back in the day, and I'm not saying that I, I am right, which is why I wanted to talk to you about this. We always leveled the bow and then leveled uh, the first axis, and then the housing, and then what changed the game on that. Now, not all sites uh, allow for that Hemsky to fit on, which sucks. When it, I'm not a big fan of putting it on the riser um, in comparison. But, well,
1: it works, but just keep in mind, it works. You just have, All it is, all that pin is a measurement tool, right?
0: Yeah.
1: It tells me at straight out with no cant in the bow where the bubble's sitting, and then it tells me where it's sitting when I go down for a steep shot. So as long as it maintains the same from, from straight out in front of you and down and, and or up, then your third axis is off. If it's changing from straight out in front of you to point downhill, then you have your bubble not running perpendicular to the plane of motion.
0: So let's talk about that, that perpendicular plane of motion. Cause the way I did it in kind of a layman's turn, just talking about it's bringing your housing away or toward closer to you or away to marry up um, that level. and so when you if you aim downhill and you shoot to the right, it's going to be opposite when you aim uphill when your third axis is off. Right. Now, Correct. where people really don't understand this portion or how it's a, it's almost like a rangefinder. this extrapolates the farther out you go, the worse it gets. So and how I explained it earlier is if you put a six inch level on a door jam and that six inch level's out an eighth of an inch. That doesn't mean the door jams well, out an eighth. You have to extrapolate well, that. Just,
1: go ahead. Yeah, but just explain it to them simply. Okay, if you, go, if you go out to 20 yards and you can't your bubble, a half a bubble to the right, and see where your impact shift is, and then you go out to 100 yards and you can't a half a bubble to the right, it's going to be a lot further out.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's it's just That's keep happening.
1: Your, your bubble's not reading correctly.
0: So when you, when you're, when your bubble is not reading correctly and you're aiming downhill, the steeper you aim. So I could aim yeah. at a 10 degree angle and be an inch to the right at a 40 degree angle. I could be four inches because the level is changing yeah. as I go downhill, making it worse and
1: yeah, worse. Yeah. It's going to get increasingly worse and steeper and further you go. Yeah. And let me give you, let me give you a, a story of, of how this all came about because Back in the day, I mean, all I did is read Frank, watch Frank Pearson's leveling videos and I, I do it exactly like he did, basically on a bright sight tool. So I go to reading first uphill, I'm out the left, first downhill, I'm out the right. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing wrong? <laughs> and I did this twice. And then the second year, I finally realized it had to be done at full draw. Okay. So I put the level, a level bubble on my bow at full draw and did it and Honestly, I was still wrong, but it was close enough. So I had, um, guy from, um, specialty, make me a prototype of the Hansky level. And I was shooting Matthews apex at the time. And I, I would level them at static and at full draw, draw it back, point downhill. If the bubble's still level, I, I, I was good to go. And I shot fine. We, then I got hooked up to Sean and Andrew and we decided to make it. And I had sold like 35 of these things and I brought them into the office, gave it to one of the guys, each of the guys and, and Preston was like, uh, that ain't going to work. I'm like, what do you mean? it ain't going to work? Works perfect. I'm like no freaking way. He said, when you torque the bow, the bubble and the level and the bubble in your sight are going to move the same amount. And I was like, Oh shit. He's right. And right at that moment, I knew the first thing that came to mind was I was at Bocas at the bird and we had this 112 yard downhill doll sheep target. And I kept hitting it in the front shoulder, up front of the front shoulder. And I couldn't figure out why. And so I went and put that level. I, it took me about, but I finally got the pin on the on, on the thing. It took me about three days to come up with that. And when I finally got that figured out, I went and put that Pamsky tool on my apex. And you know what was fooling me? Was the fact that that bow was so rigid and so stiff that from static to full draw, it only shifted like an eighth of a bubble. Gotcha. Then I took my switchback, which I had shot that downhill dull sheep with. And this is true of almost all hunting bows because of the let-off. That bow had shifted from static to full draw a half a bubble, and that's where I was getting that error from. And from that point on, I've never been confused about sight leveling.
0: No, that makes total sense. And I obviously you have a better grasp on it than we. Can, we end up with the same result. I'm just doing some sure. shit I don't need to do. Well, oh, you can
1: shoot it in. You can shoot it in too, but. But then you take shooter here and oh yeah, don't you do, have to figure out? Yeah, don't it, do it, that. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit more complicated.
0: Yeah, don't 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 do that. Now I do like and that. What I
1: tell people, what I tell people about sight leveling is like, I'll argue to the death of it because there's nothing subjective about it. Okay, it's right or it's wrong. There is no in between. It's either right or it's wrong.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, I, I mean. Have
1: seen and it's something that these guys need to be aware of too. Is, is I've seen guys like I'll give you an example, Mike Schlosser, one of the best shooters in the world, right? Yeah. Mike runs a ton of weight on the left side of his bar. So we're at Reading a couple of years ago, and I level his low. His bubble's a full bubble out.
0: Is that? But weird? he goes that...
1: up and he's he's shooting the practice course and he can't hit nothing. So he put his bubble back where he had it. So here's a guy. This is this is this is not going to happen with most guys hunting because they don't have that kind of sideways. Yeah. It goes right back to natural point of aim. If you're forcing something to level, you're not going to be able to repeat it. Okay. He would actually, when he got out of position, because he had so much weight that he couldn't maintain the same level of tension, therefore the same bubble alignment. So as he got steeper and steeper, he got further and further off. And so he would set his bubble off. So he had this sliding scale of off. And, but frankly, I also think that's why he's also not been a very good field shooter. You know, maybe that'll change, but, um, you can't have that massive amount of weight. That's one of the reasons I first started shooting V bars. If V bars separate the weight and balance it more evenly so that when I get out of position, um, I'm not going to have that shift in my, in my bubble. Well,
0: Let's talk about two things. So, like you 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 know, you're, there's a right and a wrong. And I agree with it. I mean there you're it's either level or it's not. Now right. when, once everything is totally level, so you've you've listened to all the things Tim and I just talked about, you 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 get a you know, the Hamsky uh, leveling that I like that gin too, but you get the Hamski leveler. I, I like that bright sight. It's not necessarily needed. Um, I, I probably just like it because I'm used to it because I still may have to change got, it once I throw it on my bow anyway with the yeah, hand I, I got one
1: here. I'll sell anybody that wants it.
0: <laughs> you, you don't necessarily, you know, need it. It's more <laughs> of a warm and fuzzy because I got used to it because once it goes yeah. on the bow, you do generally have to change it a little again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I can level my bow in five minutes. I just hang, I just set the bow on my lap. I hold it level and that's what i do i don't i just sit down on a chair and hold it low
0: yeah yeah and when you what when, with what tim's talking about because i was doing down in texas because we have i don't know if you see some of those shots are 55 60 degrees that level sure. is important i mean and i've been on the phone with rangefinder companies and everything else like and we can get into that later but when you're aiming steep steep downhill the first thing i would do because we all have those hamskis. I go, I grab the guy's bow, and I do exactly what you just talked about. I sit in my little rocking chair on the front porch. I clamp that thing on there, and I'm like, bro, it's not windy. we got to change your shit. What do you mean? I'm like, i got to adjust your sight. Your third axis is way off. And I just simplify it. I'm like, man, when you aim downhill, you're going you're gonna to hit five miles right. We adjust that. How do you
1: know that if you're holding it? My question, okay, stop. How do you know that? If you're holding his bow and he's not at full draw with
0: it. So, one, obviously, uh, if he's never leveled it, I know because he's never leveled but, his bow. So, two, okay, now, without you, you now, you hold on. You're going you overly anal. Wait a second. if Why I, put, Well, you, you are to a certain degree because if I put it on there and he hasn't checked it okay. at all, we already know it's five miles off. So, when I put it on there and he's never leveled his bow... You're thinking it's magically level?
1: Possibly.
0: Hey, possibly. It's what are the chances well, about, of that? Uh, okay. What are the it's chances about of that?
1: Likely, it's about as likely to be level as you holding it level.
0: Well, and I'm not holding it at full draw. I'm just throwing it in my lap to see if his first and okay. second axis are on.
1: All right. All <laughs> so, right. Let's go, back, let's go back to my switchback, right? Yeah. So my switch, let's go back to a bow that say, from static to full draw is shifting a half a bow. Yeah, but I sit there and
0: I. I you are. Out. No, now hold time on. Out. You're jumping ahead. All I'm doing is grabbing his bow, seeing if anything is level, and saying, "All right, dude, go to full draw." While the ham, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. You're thinking I'm saying it differently. Oh, <laughs> I thought
1: you said you were third. After- leveling his bow in your lap you can't do that
0: well i'm just throwing it in my lap to see if it's level right and, and i'm checking his first second and third right i throw that ham ski on there and but i'm you like do,
1: but, but you can only do the second you cannot do the third yeah, now, which i get what you're saying you something, if i have a bow that now i have leveled one of the things that i will do once it's perfectly third axis leveled i will statically like sit it in my lap and just tip the stabilizer down against the floor
0: just to check it
1: and i will see when i level that when I level the bubble in the handskid, I will see how far off the bubble in my scope is. And I use that so if I fall on my bow or something, I know where to set it back to.
0: No, that makes sense. And normally it's close, it's just not exact. Meaning from full drop, from what I've found, depending upon how bad the archer is, is torquing, it's close, right? But it's not perfect.
1: If you, if yeah, if you're in a pinch, say I was at hunting camp and I didn't have a level, the only thing I would do is I would have the guy draw the bow back, and I would just look at his bubbled relationship in squareness to, you know, the plane of the, the, arrow, plane of the arrow. But wouldn't yeah. wouldn't if it, if a it really hamp- tipped in or out really bad? I'd move it, but
0: but a hamsky level with with because I again that's why I interrupted you. I I, I was not explaining as well. I'm doing the same thing you're you're telling people to do. I think it's a good idea if you have newer archers. Have that hamsky with you. Throw it on their site when they get there. Check and see if the second's level. If it's really screwed up and they've never leveled the bow, I can't say it's going to happen in five minutes, but five to ten, you're going to have that dude dialed quickly.
1: Oh, yeah. well, yeah, it just means, and, and what happens, the way the second manifests itself is, if you go sight your 20 and then you got to hunter, you'll be hit left or right based on how far off it is because your pin is actually moving at an angle, not perfectly straight up and down when you level the bubble. Right. Okay. Now when so you. It's important to understand for new guys, it's important to understand how, how each manifests itself. So,
0: No, I got gotcha. you. And I just, for, for us, because of those steep angles, that's one of the first mm-hmm. things I check is give me your bow. I, clamp that bad boy on there and i'm like holy shit and if now i may be wrong but if i clamp that on and the first and the second are off there's no way he's on i don't give a shit what he does at full draw the
1: first doesn't matter again
0: well when i they that everything's coinciding with each other
1: they should they shouldn't be labeled what they are because the first to me is the last thing that's set okay that's set to your natural point of aim okay but the second and the third, the second just basically is going to say, hey, when he run, runs his pin from 20 to 100, he's not going to hit left or right on flat ground. The third is basically going to say when he tips straight up and down, his bubble is not going to lie to him, so he's going to hit behind the pin. Mm-hmm. But you also when you start shooting those real extreme angles, you want to draw a line, you know, and have them aim either a rack of pins or the Hamsky pin on that line to make sure his form, he knows how, you know, what his form is doing to, uh, screw that up too. Because and let me give you a story. I, I was in Belgium at one of the pro series and I've probably learned more for shooting slopes training for the pro series in Europe than I did any other thing I've done. Um, so I get over there and you know, it was one of them weekends. Nobody was going to beat Dave Cousins. And we were shooting these these shots out of these uh, bunkers, right? It's an old World War II site. Yeah. And there was a bunker. We were down in this bunker. And, well, these crazy Europeans, they like to really screw with you. So they, they put targets up on these big extensions. So they were way up high. You might be shooting 15 yards at a 55-degree slope. Yeah. And I kept hitting to the left, and it just kept driving me. It drove me crazy. I said something to Cousins. Like, dude, how, how do you – what, what's happening hes I don't know I just hit left I aim to the right <laughs> and, I, and so me I ain't gonna put I, ain't, I can't tolerate that I gotta know why yeah so I get I finally get down to the last target and it's like a 20 yard or same thing it's 45 50 degrees up and I just aimed on the I think the right side of it and hit it so I'm talking to some people the next weekend and and one guy mentioned he said I, I just gauge my cables in my sight window to see that they're in the same position left or right and I'm like hmm Makes a lot of sense because somehow I'm changing my torque load in my third axis, right? Yeah, it's
0: when you're going uphill, yeah. something's changing.
1: I got this bright idea that I would, and I don't even know, I got it from that guy, but I don't even know where I come up with this freaking sight. But it's a bow fishing sight that has two wires, two vertical wires. Okay? And I was shooting a PSE Dominator at the time. Well, the PSC Dominator had, it was an ambidextrous riser, so it had mounts on the left side for another sight. So I took another sight. Mounted it on the left side of the boat, and I put this bow fishing site back in the rear of the site window, okay? Behind the, you know, the, the riser. Yeah, I see and what you're saying.
0: Your brain does not work like most humans. No fucking human would have thought of doing that.
1: Okay, but, but, but it showed you. this is a good explanation of what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I put these two wires in there, and the wires, it, because it was on a tournament site, I could actually change the first axis adjustment. So what I did is I made those two wires perfectly straight with my third axis or my first axis right so they were parallel to my sight's first axis yeah and i had one wire on one side of the pin and one wire on the other side of the pin so it could tell me if i was tracking perfectly in the middle of those two wires
0: almost like the so parallax of got, a rifle scope
1: i put a rear sight on it basically yeah, yeah. yeah. yep <laughs> so when i got up in these real steep shots now i would see that the pin was sitting over against the left wire and all i would do is pull a little bit harder and it would go right to the middle and it always hit behind the pin after that. So
0: I want to make sure people understand what Tim just said or how he explained this. I don't know if the fulcrum point would be a good explanation, but the pivoting point. No, just... Right. No, right. no, go ahead.
1: It, it's just, it's what you're, you're, you're going to, when you come, when you get out of position, it's hard to maintain the same level of tension in the bow system that you have on a perfectly flat just shot, say, uh, especially when you get past 25 or 30 degrees, and it becomes very difficult. And it's why you teach people to bend at the hips, but that's not even realistic in a lot of situations when you get real steep.
0: Not at 55 degrees, it's not the human body won't, unless you're a contortionist. I'm bowed up, I'm not I'm not pivoting at the fucking hips at 55 degrees, it ain't, it ain't happening. Not yeah, I, for shot, me.
1: I shot my doll sheep at 55
0: degrees. Well, and a lot of those out dead we kill are 47 to 60. And, and 60 is, you know, if you watch, there's a couple times the guy's arrow was bouncing off the rest. It was so steep downhill, like it was starting
1: yeah, that, to come off. Yeah, you, have, you if you knew you were going to hunt in that kind of situation, you would want to put a big tight end knock set underneath your arrow inside the loop. So you created a lot of down pressure. Down into pressure. Your
0: rest. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. But yeah, yeah. Well, backing up to what you were just talking about if you were to be able to measure from the guy's arrow to his bus cable on flat ground, and then he aims at 55 degrees is the dimension from his arrow to his bus cable, hypothetically the same distance because your draw doesn't get longer uphill, your form changes or whatever. So you're not putting as much pressure at full draw uphill. And that's what you were talking about where you could get the Uh, the cable,
1: the cable. Yeah. The cable guard loads everything up at full draw. Some bows, less than others. You know, the bowtechs I shoot have a flex guard. So that eliminates a lot of that rotational force, but it's still there. But if you take a bow that say a roller guard, worst case scenario is a roller guard that kind of pulls the cables into the riser. So it creates a lot of torque load, especially, you know, 80, 90% let off. It's real easy to manipulate your, your, your bow at full draw if you're only holding 10 or 12 pounds. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're basically, coming out of alignment.
0: Yeah, which is very easy to do in mountainous terrain. That's one of the big very. arguments I have with flick fixed blades to mechanicals, which I don't even know if we want to cover this, but when you but are
1: it's too valid though. Yeah,
0: it's very valid because and and I'm not a I'm not a 100% mechanical guy or a 100% fixed blade guy. I like mechanicals. Um, you know, and I have great luck with them. The argument is, and Tim, you can go off on this when I throw it out there. I've got a mechanical broadhead and my alignment and I'm, I'm, I'm goofy footing, aiming uphill, and everything we just talked about. My bow is not firing the same way as it is on flat ground. You know, my, 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 my arrow, I, I'm torquing basically more. That arrow may have flown perfect with a bare shaft or a, a fixed blade broadhead on flat ground, is it worth the risk to shoot a fixed-blade broadhead having that happen because now you are not going to be shooting with field points no matter how well you were tuned because you're not in a perfect situation in comparison to firing a mechanical, which has a much higher probability of still hitting in the same spot when when, well, you, when yeah, your form's off? It
1: goes right back to paper tells no lies. Well, t-
0: talk hey. talk about that in more depth, Tim, because, I again, I, okay, I don't okay. have – Skin in the game, I don't paper, give a shit what you shoot.
1: Paper tells no lies, okay? There's one thing that's guaranteed. If you have a left tear through paper, your broadheads are going to steer to the right. Text blades are going to steer more than mechanicals. Mechanicals with more blade surface area are going to steer more than mechanicals with no blade surface area. That's the reason I shoot the thorn broadheads. There's no exposed blade surface area, okay? So there's no planing surface or a very, very small, the same as I do in a target area. Um, and I agree with the same thing you're take, you're talking about. At the moment of truth okay when you are throwing down on an animal even with you know my experience or your experience i still get jangled you know if i were to translate that into how i made that shot through paper it might not be exactly the same as if i was perfectly calm in the backyard right you know same thing if i get out of position it may not be exactly the same and so if my bad shot or my marginal shot or my nervous shot translates to a quarter inch left tear or a half inch left tear that's what my broadheads just did they, they didn't hit off. the
0: same spot okay. I'll tell you that so
1: <laughs> just about every aspect I see you know and I, I mean there's people going to argue with me but whatever I don't really care I mean I don't see any value you know unless I'm shooting a recurve or something and shooting a fixed blade head or, or you know if a, a woman wants to shoot elk with a light pounded setup then I would recommend a fixed blade but I don't see any disadvantage to a mechanical per se, um, a good mechanical everything I see is, a
0: good mechanical,
1: yeah, good mechanical, yeah, there's some of them that suck, but um' so, kill there with anything, personally.
0: but let's let's cause i my my wife shoots both. She shoots uh, fixed blades and mechanicals when we hunt elk, she shoots a fixed blade. My wife's got a longer draw twenty seven and a half, and she's shooting forty five forty seven pounds. so you know, not a crazy heavy arrow, 410 grains or something. It's not not light, light not heavy. It's happy medium. I don't, for, for her, for most situations, she's shooting a one and a half inch sever uh, or a fixed blade. And you like the thorn, I mean, whatever, but good broadheads. So what I, what I try to explain to people, and, and, and Tim, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, what are the chances of you hitting the shoulder of a whitetail compared to the rest of the body well if you just do yeah. it mathematical percentages pretty slow right the, the The shoulder is much smaller than the uh you know intestines and stomach and ass right so what what yeah,
1: i one one good thing about a mechanical too is is a lot of times if you hit that hard bone in the in the center of a shoulder blade that they're bigger cut number, so they're not going to do as much damage, you know.
0: That animal will be breeding the gonna, next day.
1: You're not, not going to get through with anything, but you may not damage the deer enough to hurt him, you know, you know where it's, he's not going to recover from it. Uh, but, you know, like you said, you shoot them through the guts of anything. They're going to die. You know, they're just going to die faster with a freaking big mechanical hole through them.
0: Well, and, and here's the thing. You hit something with a three thirty eight edge plus P, and you hit something with a five five six. It's not going to go very far with the three hundred grain, you know, bullet firing at three thousand feet per second through its stomach in comparison to a 5.56. The same thing with broadheads, yeah. and and again, I don't, I like both, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a basher of either.
1: I mean, I can yeah, shoot both. I mean, but uh, I've shot nothing but mechanical since '95. I don't know that I, I don't see any negatives in them. Is the thing, and there's a lot of people that think they see negatives in them, but I see way more negatives than fixed blades in their aero flight now I'm an expert at making them fly good
0: well let, let's 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 you know? talk let's talk about it just so people get our perspective on this because you and I are pretty close to the to the same. I think if you light poundage, short draw, there's gonna be a time in mm-hmm. an animal where a, a fixed blade makes total sense. Recurve, shoot a fixed blade.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. you know I'll give you an example of this. Lauren Richardson, you know Russ Richardson out of Arizona. Corky Richardson. I know, they, I,
0: I know who he you know, is. I don't know him, but yeah. They're
1: a big big hunting family. Well, his mom and and, and his wife have shot a stack load of elk, grizzly bear, moose, and they, they do it all with lightweight 300 to 330 grain, uh, usually gold chip ultralight, and, uh, you know, 45 pounds. There's one common denominator though. And they're getting full penetration, okay? You know, for a woman with that type of setup to get full penetration of the opposite side of an elk is pretty impressive. They all use Magnus Stingers. Yeah. Magnus Stinger is very good penetrating head because every leading edge is tapered, right? Yep. So, you know, yeah, you gotta pick your poison based on, you know, what you're doing. I mean, Jake Jacobson here at own Jake's Archery for years you know i talked him into shooting kill zones well i wouldn't have told him to get the kill zone that he ended up shooting which he got the 2.3 extreme he went out that year and shot a 397 bull (laughs) he said he said tim in 50 years of bow hunting i have never in my life seen a blood trail like that and he's he's used that he went to africa a couple years ago with uh guys around here and he stacked up about 15 animals with them things and he just that's his go-to now and he's only shooting 64 pounds with a 340 grain arrow i would tell him to shoot that rodhead i'd tell him to shoot at 1.75 you know just for the sole fact i think he's a little marginal you know on penetration but he's had very very good results with it but he's a good shot too that's a big thing that nobody talks about is you know Shot placement
0: is everything. Well, so I had uh, McCarthy on here. Well, I've had a b- bunch of people talk about this. Like McCarthy and Bill Pellegrino. I would say Bill is one of the greater archers that's ever. Bill's a great shot, fingers, release, very knowledgeable. Bill shoots a 425-grain arrow with mechanical. Bill's very clear. Mm-hmm. He said, I hit what I'm aiming at. That solves all problems. He wasn't brash about it. He wasn't arrogant. He just was like, I hit what I'm aiming at most of the time. I don't really need to worry about firing one through the scapula or whatever. I shoot, you know. He's he builds a forty yard and in guy, McCarthy, same kind of thing. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, if a guy's shooting seventy to seventy five pounds, you know, I like that two hundred and eighty feet speed. You're a little fat, you know. You like faster, but with a right now, I'm shooting a four hundred and seventy eight grain arrow at about two eighty four. I can shoot really whatever yeah. I want, right? I, I whatever broadhead. So I bounce back and forth on mechanicals, uh, the two one and a half to two inch sever, and guys will message me and I shit you not, I've got a thirty inch draw, I'm shooting seventy eight pounds, am I okay to hunt elk with a two inch sever? I'm like you're okay to hunt anything with that setup, yeah. I, anything. You know, uh, you and I when I left out a five hundred and some grain arrow, when you are pushing, yeah, you might, go ahead.
1: Yeah, you might be careful with bear or so with long hair or that. Sometimes those those fins can fill up with hair, you know, and cause a
0: negative reaction. But I don't know. What Have you shot any bears with your severs? Oh, yeah. Well, more kill zones than severs. I've shot two bears with a sever. And, uh, man, when you're pumping that kind of momentum out, you know, you pretty much get whatever you, you want. And so the, the thing is, and, you know, as Tim and I are talking about this, you always pay the tollman, right? I mean, you, you know, when I say that, if you're gonna shoot a 7 cutting diameter fixed blade, the chances of you making it through the scapula, um, yes, shoot a seven hundred grain arrow and you may make it through the thickest part of the scapula. Is that worth it. that? Your your well, it de- depends. But yeah, it's more the exception than the rule. I agree with you there. But my my point is, is is it worth the chance you have of hitting that portion of the scapula, losing you know, firing logs downrange. I would much rather rewind, come back 400 grain, you know, shoot a 450 grain arrow and have the best of all worlds because you're going to have a lot well, of things ducking the string when you're firing that heavy of an arrow.
1: Well, it's It, it always comes back to shot placement and what affects shot placement, okay? And the reason I like speed it's because I've shot on Mark 3D my whole freaking life, and I understand the value of it. I shoot Western animals; we spot and stalk the system, the, the things. Always dynamic. It's not. It's not hardly ever. I ranged him. I set my sight, and I made the perfect shot. It's almost always I range him. He moved a couple yards. or you know, everything happens fast. You know. Yep. Either that, or I'm just not sneaky. One of the two.
0: Probably a little both.
1: Yeah, like three hundred pounds for the pack
0: <laughs> yeah you, you are a, a large individual, but but it's it's true. I mean, I'm more of a happy medium guy like I think you can have decent speed, decent arrow weight and 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 not go to any one extreme or the other. The guy's you know, a five hundred and fifty grain you know plus arrow at 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 seventy pounds is is a bit heavy you know like when I shot 550 grain arrows which you know I was shooting 80 to 90 pounds so yeah what, ex- what extremely- I look at
1: arrow weight for is wind performance long distance performance now I can mediate some of that with a faster arrow just by going to a skinnier arrow and you want to look at some really really good data you want to look at what Joel Maxwell put together on penetration you know people throw this this momentum thing around they throw this stuff around and then all the people throwing this stuff around it's just a they don't prove anything okay so joel went out he he took a five what he took 400 to 500 to 600 grain arrow he he set the bow up to where they all had the exact same momentum and then he did the same test where they had all the exact same kinetic energy okay the three shots with the for the three setups with kinetic energy had the exact same penetration and the momentum number meant nothing. The faster are always out penetrated the slower, heavier. One.
0: Gotcha. And so
1: these guys that run around and say the opposite are just talking out their freaking butts because they don't know what they're talking about. They can't prove what they say. They just talk about. Gotcha. Now, I and, I, I, and I completely killed there at a hundred and I ain't even tell you how far. So, I mean, but I've shot, well over 100 yards and get complete throughs. Do you know the reason they're passing through? Most of the animals I've shot over 100 have been throughs. Do you know why they pass through?
0: Uh, the arrow flight at that distance is perfect.
1: Exactly. yeah. The air and energy transfer is right down the center of the arrow. What's my kinetic energy at 100 yards plus? 50? Yeah.
0: yeah, I don't know. You need a lab radar, but, yeah, I would say 50 to 60. Yeah, something like that. But, but re, rewinding a little bit, and I never looked at that study because I'm um, again I'm always the happy.
1: Yeah, girl. it was just super what he did. I mean, yeah, when I shot five hundred fifteen green arrows, I pulled eighty pounds. That crap will destroy your shoulders.
0: Well, and I guess that's what I'm getting at now is when you do like just extrapolate it. Right, I shot a five hundred fifty at eighty eighty five. I shoot a four seventy five four sixty five at seventy to seventy two. You know, again, the happy medium. I always want to be around 280, 285. That's the kind of speed I like to stay yeah. at.
1: Now, yeah, it, I build my around speed and what I'm willing to pull and what my bow will do.
0: Yeah, and I don't ever so. compromise accuracy to hit a certain point weight. I usually have one seventy five up front total, somewhere around fifty grains of components and one hundred twenty five grain tip, roughly. I don't know what the hell my kinect or my my fock is or whatever the hell. I just don't. I go for accuracy. I don't really care you what know that,
1: it is. You know last year I was just telling you about—I shot it over 100 yards, and got a complete pass through. You know what I was running up front.
0: 120. <laughs>
1: I was running an 85, an 85 grain gold tip gladiator with a 12 and a half grain insert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're a little different though, because your 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 draw length is crazy. But I would I I don't think that you're wrong. <laughs> I
1: got some truth though, I was shooting a switchback. I was shooting a. I don't even know if I was shooting a switchback back then, but it was shooting. I was shooting a 380 grain arrow, I'm guessing somewhere around 300 or 305.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cranking down there. But if if a guy comes up to you and says, Tim, I got a a 28.5-inch draw, I'm shooting 70 pounds, what is your general Mm -hmm. recommendation for arrow weight? What do you hunt? Just general North America. I want one arrow to hunt elk, antelope, and mule deer whitetail. I just want one arrow.
1: So he's 28-inch draw, 70 pounds?
0: 28-and-a-half, 70 pounds.
1: I'd, You know, I, I'd just tell him to shoot a, probably a three hundred and forty spine gold tip or or three, depends on how long you wants the arrow. You know, the length of the arrow is between the three hundred and three hundred and forty, and the 340, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I would tell him what arrow weight. Get you 280 foot a second would be my first question.
0: Yeah, that would be my first as well.
1: And that would be kind of the minimum speed that I would want to, I would personally want him to hunt at because I don't think arrow weight matters that much. I mean, my nephew, I put him in a 55-pound bow, shot his first bull out and got a complete pass through. And now, know, yeah. that 40-yard. So. Yeah, and I I think... First, oh, go ahead. I know all kinds of elk get killed every year with 350 grain arrows. It doesn't matter that much.
0: If you hit where you're aiming
1: at, if, definitely. if you and you pick the broadhead for the energy that you have, yep. You know, you shoot a two point three at fifty five pounds versus a cut on contact. You know, fixed blade. Well, you know, and or say a one point five stabber versus a two point two or whatever they have. Those are different. You know, those are different energy levels to to penetrate.
0: But but you would you would agree? I think you're kind of saying the same thing I would. Is I'm like, hey. 28 pounds 70 pounds, around a 450-grain area you should be around 280 feet per second.
1: Yep. I, Say, I highly doubt that. you ain't going to be 280 with a 450-grain or a 28-inch draw, are you?
0: 28 and a half, yeah, it'd be pretty close because, I mean, I'm 29, <laughs> and, you know, basing it roughly, right? I'm pulling numbers out of my ass, close, okay? so
1: Yeah, it depends on the oh, ball. That sounds awfully fast for a 28 inch draw.
0: Well, 20. So I'm at 29 with the bow I have now at 69 pounds. I'm 284 with a 478 grain arrow. That bow's a little okay. bit fast, but you know, roughly. But I'm 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 agreeing with you, other than speeds a little different.
1: Go well, 10 foot a second, 30 grains of arrow weight. So if you knock 30 grains off your arrow weight, the 28 inch draw would be about there. So with that bow,
0: that's where I came up with it. But close either way. But okay, 450, 440. What okay. would you What would you say at a four hundred and fifty grain arrow with a fixed blade? You can shoot through anything with a one and a half mechanical. I wouldn't be afraid. You know, I'm not. I'm not a proponent of this, but I've seen a lot of moose get killed with that arrow with a mechanical. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I, and I watched my I watched Yasi shoot a elk last year with a one point five seven. I never seen any die so fast in my life. He shot it. Over 90, and it just fucking destroyed it.
0: Yeah. Now, as, as people are listening to this, I'm not saying don't shoot a fixed blade. If you want to shoot one, but just know the downsides yeah. to it. There are downsides.
1: The number one downside I see in a, in a, in a fixed blade accuracy is the one is, I see. Is, it. <laughs> well, accuracy first, and then secondary is noise. Because in order to keep accuracy with a fixed blade and forgiveness, you have to have a lot of bane. You know, I've found that two inch high profile four fletch is a way to really calm down a fixed blade and really make it group well. Problem is that it creates a lot of noise coming at the animal and I've seen a lot of them, you know, duck the sound of that arrow coming at. I was talking to Levi at the trade show this year. Now I'm running that thorn and one thing I like about it is that I can run a really small vein. So I have that glue in model thorn in a one six six shaft, so it eliminates the insert, eliminates I'm running the same exact vein I shoot feed a target tournament with for hunting. Those animals don't hear it coming. Let's talk a little bit. I had two whitetails the last two years up in Montana with them. Both of them. The first one was like really alert, looking right at me, facing me, 32 yards. The whole field was alert. And he never even twitched before the arrow got there.
0: So, Let's talk about that a little bit with the veins, because I shoot uh, 2.6. I've recently started messing around with that uh, AAE Minimax or Arizona Archery Minimax just because it's easier to fletch. But there's some parachute in that bad boy because it's wrapping around half the arrow. Um, But noise-wise, so... When you're talking about fletching, you know, people ask me what fletch should I shoot. I'm like, I don't know. Here's some options, right? I mean, I group tune with different fletchings. You know, d- you know I, I'll set different arrows up and, and, and shoot, see how they group. But go down and stand behind a tree at 50 yards and have your buddy shoot 60. That is going yeah. to be a fucking eye-opener when you start flinging oh, yeah. arrows down range. And when I say that, I'm not talking a little bit. You shoot a fixed blade vented broadhead. And uh, half a chicken for for a vein on the back, a human can sure. get out of the way of that thing. I shit you not, and I've heard arguments of this, and no one's going to convince me any different. It is loud coming. I mean, bow noise is a little bit, you know, but yeah.
1: It, 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 it,
0: I mean, how you, you know, do
1: especially on junk animals, you know. Yeah,
0: cracked out Alabama Le- whitetail. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Levi told me the same thing. He, he's shooting. He's got that new. Uh, swacker that glues in too now and he runs a real small four but she said I had to learn to start aiming a little higher because I'm used to him ducking down into it and but I'll tell you where I originally got this this idea from was the guy named I don't know if you guys even know who he is A guy named Steve Cobreen If, if you don't know who Steve Cobreen is everybody should because he's he's a rock star Steve moved to Africa many many years, ago. he's back in the states now. But he's probably killed more species and more animals with a with a bow than virtually anybody in history. Um, I think he told me one time he killed sixty species with a bow that no other white man's killed. He's just one of these guys that's like this quintessential British explorer, big, tall guy like me, about six six. But we had all kinds of conversations because he, you know, he shot for me for years, and and uh, he kept ordering these low profile. Bane Tech banes from me. I was like, what are you doing with those? That ain't enough to steer broadhead. He said, well, let me tell you about a test I ran. He said, I took, a, I took a target one time and set it behind the blind, and I just want to test if they're jumping the sound of the bow fired or if they're jumping the sound of the arrow. And so he said, I took the jumpiest animal, which is an Impala, and he said, I would shoot at the target behind the blind, and they wouldn't even freaking move hard. They shoot at them, and they just come unglued. Because animals are wired to move away from that. Progressively louder sound coming at them, but they can move a heck of a lot faster than we can. Yeah. So
0: no, that makes sense, and I I don't um there's there's kind of a happy medium for everything. I think it's the people's ability or or want to find out this this. I mean, not to sound weird, the search for knowledge. I geek out about this, so. I tell you what's funny, and I'm not going to mention all the different manufacturers, but when we were doing some of the testing for noise, just like you and I in the backyard, Tim, go stand behind that tree. Boom, boom, boom. The thing that I did was my wife, because my wife doesn't have a dog in the fight. She's new to this. I fired six arrows, different vein configurations, broadheads. One of those out of the blue, every time I'd shoot, she was like, Jesus Christ, that's loud. Think about what a deer is thinking if that's my wife hiding behind a tree. My wife is not overly quick compared to a deer. And I don't think people put the maybe effort into having the most uh, lethal setup when you start talking about dropping you know, arrows down range. Because if a human, it's that loud. Think about what a deer is doing getting out of the way. And that's not just vein configuration. That's also what broadhead you have on the front of that thing. Uh, A vented fixed blade is loud. No way around it.
1: I was hunting elk in Idaho one year, and I had this bull broadside. It was a fairly long shot, but, I mean, I'm shooting six-inch groups at 100 yards with fixed blades, you know, and I had all the time in the world. Just perfect quartered away. I touch that arrow, off, and he picks his head up to the sound, spots the arrow, and dodges it, and I'm like, are you shitting me? It's an elk. <laughs> yeah. Not a he white literally dodged that era. Yeah. You know but again, and, it was a four four fledged blazer.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the high profile veins, man. I just
1: it's not for me. Um, well, I mean, but in order to control a a, a fixed blade, it's the one thing will make make 'em speak the language.
0: No, you're you're right, but I mean I have had better luck shooting a longer, lower profile um to, tax title and license, like you know, big picture than I have the shorter high profile overall and you may not agree with that but but um i've just had depends better
1: on what depends on what you're trying to steer
0: well i would say overall for me anything i'm going to pick probably a lower profile for best um total package um
1: well, me give me an example when i'm trying to steer a triple x and when i'm trying to steer a pair steer, i can't steer the triple x with the same bane i can put on the if i put my I put the same veins I put on my piercings. I could shoot my triple Xs, but my bad shots would be really bad shots. Yeah, I
0: don't. I don't disagree yeah. with that at all. And, and
1: a, tri- a triple X is no different than the comparison in broadheads, right? It's got a fat shaft. It's got a lot of surface area. So when it gets sideways, it wants to take off. There's two things that'll mediate that: point weight fletching. Fletching is number one point weight is second because when it does get sideways then it has resistance to planing, and that's where your point weight comes into play you know in a hunting situation or right. on a hunting arrow
0: so if you just, crit- just with you if you were going to um suggest an all-around vein configuration you know and i know you don't probably like doing this guy's gonna shoot that what's that
1: i don't do that I, because I, it doesn't exist so if
0: you, well, I, I, on a very high level, I get what you're saying. If a guy is getting into archery and he's wanting, he's, he's, he's experimenting, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to shoot fixed blades or he's going to shoot mechanicals. I generally suggest 2.6 to three inch moderate to low profile veins. Now I could be totally wrong from what you think, but you got to get somebody started off somewhere. I am not a fan of the shorter high profiles for, for that.
1: You tell average guys that want it both, i tell them to use what we put on our four-fledged pattern. We use a 2.75 medium-profile four-fledged. And Wouldn't you any, say any that's – if, if I take Jesse Broadwater, for example, who I think is one of the best shot makers in the game, and I put a four-fledged pattern 2.75 on his arrow and I put a three-fledged pattern 2.5, he may be a good enough shot that he'll never tell the difference. Okay. I've never felt like I was a great shot maker. I, what I do know is equipment, I know how to make things forgiving. And the average guy needs forgiving way more than he needs. You know, I, I really caution people looking at the very top guys. And I said, because you don't make as good a shot as they do on an average basis. So you need forgiveness. You know, what is the first thing you do to a trad boat? You put frickin' feathers on the dang things because you're letting go with your meat hooks, you know? Yeah,
0: well, I put trad veins on mine. But, yeah, yeah, I get the point. Um, And I agree. But what I – I guess that's what I'm getting at is people starting out, I would err a little bit more to the side of caution as far as steering to a 2.75, right. 2. Um, you know, like that AAE, huh? that Arizona yeah. Mini Max, got quite a bit of helical on it, a four-fletch. And then decipher and start –
1: 4 I mean, I just – I, I know it. You're you the know, one that got me shooting them, I know. <laughs> well, I go back to, you know, let me tell you why I got the 4 fletch. you know, so for your for your listeners. So Grim Reaper is about a mile from my house, okay? And they were over here one day, and we were just, like, trying to figure out, hey, what makes a broadhead fly like a billpoint? And my number one test is put a left tear in the bow, okay? I put a quarter-inch left tear in my switchback I had, and I was getting ready to go to Idaho, too, and I had four-inch hard helical 3 fletch on. You know, what most people would think would be a great fixed blade setup, right? And, you know, sure enough, all the broadheads, I had different broadheads. I shot about six or seven or eight different models of broadheads. And at some point, every single one of them broadheads planed off and hit the dirt. We were shooting 80 or 90 yards. And so I'm a little frustrated with the whole setup, not real tickled with it. And I went in the shop and I had some arrows built up that I had shot in ESPN great outdoor games. And that was a speed round. So I had four fleshed him based on the premise that, hey, if I knock him either way, upside down, right side up, I don't have to worry about clearance, right? Yep. So I put some inserts in them, tuned them up, and I tell you what, it was like an epiphany. These had two and a half inch vein techs on them. So a medium profile, parabolic shaped vein, you know, similar to your like 2.6 AAEs or whatever, I don't know what they're called. but Yeah. Um, but I had four of them on there and it was like night and day. You couldn't make that thing miss. And so I said, like, well, it's either the vein or it's the air. And about that time, I'd also been talking to Jesse Moorhead a little bit and he he was a big fan of six fletch, 1.8, six fletch. So I fletched six of my arrows up a six fletch 2.3 low profile. And that's kind of what Mike Slinker's running right nowadays. And, uh, I've six of them up with the fourth fletch and both of them were equally better than the uh, than the three clutch. And so I, I'm very adamant about four. Um, and you see a lot of people. It's taken a lot of years since then. I mean, I've kind of preached that pulpit for for years, and you're starting to see a lot of it show up now in, in tournament archery. You know, I've tried to get you know people in our line because I think if you take things like that will make an amateur shooter or a not as you know good shooter better instantly there's two things fletching and a good stabilizer yeah well I, it- could put, I could put a pro hunter stabilizer on if you're a single bar guy and only want a single bar, I can put on your on your bow and it'll prove you're shooting instantly or I can put a two bar system on your bow and you're gonna prove your are you're shooting instantly um, I can put four fletch on your setup and you're gonna improve shooting instantly Especially with
0: broadheads. Yeah, the only the only difference I've seen, and I say difference, I started screwing around with that Arizona Easy Fletch. It's got quite a bit of helical on it. Not as good as mm-hmm. a four fletch. That's the best as far as just stability goes. Um, it's not horrible. I, I'm more of a four fletch guy, but traveling as much as I did, that Arizona was easy to throw in my, you know, in my my travel bag. As far as you know, especially guiding and everything else. <clears throat> I think uh-huh. if you're listening to uh, anything that we're talking about now and you and I, Tim, you and I agree on most stuff. I would say probably, and I think you would agree the pursuit of knowledge and actually getting it out there and doing it is probably lacking more than anything in this day and age. Um Probably you and I are close to the same age. We had to learn kind of the hard way rather than asking someone what's going to group better. What's wrong with fletching 12 arrows up three, you know, a set of three, a set of three and a set of three within front, you know, Learn it on your own. I'm not well, saying don't yeah. grab knowledge. Uh,
1: how but... the hell? Yeah, how the hell did we learn, you know? And people act like fletching arrows is this super hard thing to do. If you're going to be an archer for the rest of your life, why not buy a $75 Bitson burger? You can do anything with it. Yeah, it. It'll last you the rest of your life.
0: I can tell it's you it Will, gimm- I've had one for 22 years. Still going There's strong. It's amazing <laughs> the amount
1: of gimmicks that come out in archery to solve problems that are not perceived as problems, like new fletch and some of the others. Ridiculous stuff that's come out on the market that I I just don't understand why fletching arrows is such a big deal. I could fletch three dozen arrows, you know, with a Q2I in about an hour if I'm cranking.
0: Yeah. Well, while I'm asking you, because I, I, for ease of use, I grabbed that Arizona. Um, Do you like that thing at all, or do you think it's not for you?
1: (laughs) Not for me. Well, it's a one-size-fits-all i can't deal with
0: that i can't yeah i was gonna say i cannot disagree with you on that one and that's the one reason i grabbed it was it just ease of use but you are pigeonholed you cannot change from three to four fletch you can't change the angle you know when you do the offset you can't change that i don't think it's a horrible thing as far as if a guy knows what he wants if it works Uh, for me whatever
1: it's been been, been shooter's have marks on lines on their own They just line them up and tape them on. Really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, but but the pursuit of knowledge is, is something I think is, is lacking. And one thing, you're probably to the umpteenth level more than anyone. What's wrong with fletching? It only takes a second to scratch off veins. I well, strongly...
1: Like you, you can't teach desire to
0: anybody. No, you definitely can't. But I strongly encourage... If you're asking someone what fletching you should use, fletching's not that, veins aren't that expensive. Grab some vein techs, grab some AAEs, grab grab um, the Q2Is. Group tune, or not group tune, group test. Fire some arrows down range, see what group's better.
1: I, really, that's what it is, but it's, it's a very subtle thing, you know. When you go out and you try to figure out, like, hey, if I put one point seven fives and 2.1s on my feet arrows and I stand at fifty meters for four hours, that's a very subtle difference, you know. You put a fixed weight on there, of course it makes it a lot more noticeable, but it's still not something that's just gonna reach out and slap you in the face all the time. Now, when I went from three to four, it was definitely a slap you in the face moment. That's why I've you know paid such a you know, big attention to it. And I've seen it so many times in my triple X's where I tried to go three-fletch for various reasons yeah, and instantly noticed the difference in forgiveness. Well,
0: you got me shooting four-fletch, what, over a decade ago. And you want to talk about the light popping on for me because I'm a guy that you can, Tim, you can tell me whatever you want. I've got to go test it. Like, Tim could be full of shit, right? He, he Who knows? He might be pulling my leg. And I did. I put what I noticed is I could shoot low-profile, less. I thought it would be more wind drag less wind drag issues, uh, and more accuracy with a four-fletch, not helical, four-fletch offset, and I didn't need as much offset. And 100%, the groups were amazing. The reason I went screwing around with this Arizona now, it was just quick for traveling. I mean, bottom line, they group good. I don't have any issue with it. But for if I was to stand side-by-side with you at 80 yards and people film this and you and i had four different setups different point weights um you know different fletching configurations would you not agree one of those is going to if we're circling them in different colors one of those systems is going to come out on top for sure i encourage people to put that type of effort into it rather than going to the bar or something because you will only become a better archer and rather than throwing 29.7% FOC up front on your arrow because you might hit something in the shoulder, learn to fucking shoot, one, is a big one, and then two, if you put that much effort in front of your arrow, how much did you put in the back end? Did you mess around with the fletching configurations? Why are you shooting 29% FOC?
1: Why? Is it an I, I, accuracy I saw it with problem? T- I was two thousand people last week, and ninety percent on bow hunt. And I promise, you ain't none of them shooting twenty nine percent FOC. Well, w- wouldn't you
0: say a decent setup generality, which I know you hate, somewhere around one fifty to one seventy five up front isn't going to kill anyone. Um, that's broadhead and component weight. Little less, little more. Maybe not a little more, but I have found one fifty to one seventy five is like an all around happy medium for me at twenty nine inches.
1: I mean, for the average hunter in this country that shoots inside of 50, 60 yards, 100 grains is plenty.
0: Well, is that 100 the advantage
1: just... Shooting, the only advantage you're shooting heavier point weight comes at distance and in the wind.
0: Wind is the one for me. Wind is a big one. I like I like having a little yeah. bit up front for wind.
1: I mean, I have my feet arrows that I shoot at 50 meters. Their main goal is to be good in the wind. I have 175 grain points in the front of them. My... I'll give you two, my two hunting setups, okay? I have a thorn glue-in and a Pierce tour. I have a 120-grain broadhead with a 20-grain back weight system from Goldtips, so I got 140 up front. Now, the last couple of years, I just shot 120s, okay? And I shot them at 320 foot a second, but I just want a little bit better wind performance. Now, when I get up to like 90 to 100 yards shooting a, like a 204 ID shaft like our Black Label Quantum or Airstrike, I notice that they start to open up, and that's just simply because they're bigger diameter and they start to slow down. So, on that setup, um, I'm running, it's got a 45 grain insert, I run a 20 grain back weight behind it, and a 100 grain head. So, I've got 165 grain. And I'm telling you what, that hammers at 100 out to 140 yards. It's, it, and it's got a little bitty 1.84 four on it. So, it's real quiet. It's real efficient and it's got like the, uh, they call them uh, the Griff X, which is like the old 3d Duravane.
0: Yep. Yep. I remember. So they're
1: rounded off the back yep. and a, a, the airflow follows the vein, right? So if you've got a rounded back vein, they're going to be quieter. They're going to be a little less drag, but they're going to be quieter. So I'm kind of torn because I, you know, in all my testing and shooting, I feel like the bigger you go with diameter, the better, the the easier the arrow shoot, but the less they perform, less efficiently at distance. You know, one of the very best shooting fixed blade broadhead arrows I've ever shot you're going to laugh at was a gold tip X cutter. I know. I and wouldn't laugh.
0: I, I wouldn't shoot that, but I wouldn't laugh. I believe you.
1: <laughs> one of the longest shots ever made on an animal, I did with an X cutter. And I sold a bunch of these to a guy, a buddy of mine, I was on the railroad, some old X cutters that were real heavy. And, Dude, he couldn't believe how they. Sh- of course, he's in Idaho and they have to shoot fixed blades, and he shot them ever since then. I mean, he's probably shot them for twenty years and stacked up a ton of elk with them. But, but I mean, oh. it's uh, you know, but at past sixty, seventy yards, then they start to lose their their performance. But with no wind out, man, they hammer.
0: Let Let's and I won't keep you on too much longer because you know whatever. Obviously, there'll be all kinds of people listening to this and and looking to complain. Uh, in general, I would say there are, you know, very z- z- little absolutes in archery, but there's some ground rules. Up front on the arrow, I don't know that after 13 to 15 percent, you're really going to notice a difference. I don't know on a hunting arrow after 175 up front total. I don't see the difference. Yeah. And I've tested this. I cannot tell a difference going to oh, 225. The
1: anybody over 175 up front can't reach 80 yards
0: so it's difficult and and so for me like <laughs> so, I've got so
1: where are you going to get get to the how are you going to get to the yardage where it actually helps you well, you're
0: going to be able to reach it so so th- well yeah good point so like at 80 I've got 80 90 yards when I walk out my front door I got 45 3D targets yeah pretty good place to test i mean you got the same kind of ordeal going on i don't know for me is the ease of going to like micro diameter arrows um, are not as easy to deal with as a standard like a two, four, six, but with a micro diameter, they're going to buck the wind better. You know, so when people are asking well, me.
1: Yeah, they kind of make it up down range, you know, they're they're very sensitive to tuning simply because you're creating a very small target for the power stroke of the string. Yeah. So tuning is a simple function of alignment, right? It's a function of the alignment of the power stroke of the string with the arrow. And when you make that target bigger, say, 246 ID or a 204 ID, you know, guys that, you know, like Kevin Wilkie say that it worked for us to have options. You know, they, they've shot them all, but they still hunt with that, you know, goal tip velocity because it's more forgiving. Um, that being said, I don't simply because I like to dink around at long range, you know, and I definitely know they're good to a hundred, but past a hundred, it's just, the little arrows just perform better. And they're quieter. They take less vein. Create less noise. You know you know, when I'm shooting an antelope that's looking at me, you know, it's about a fifty fifty chance of whether he's gonna move enough. But when when he doesn't register that arrow until it's too late, you know there's just there's the difference is you can kill I tell people hunting is the easiest thing I do. I mean you can kill deer with anything. It really doesn't matter. Well, you know, if if you were when you're really trying to get the most performance out of something, you know, I can't even reach a hundred yards if I'm shooting under two eight.
0: Good lord. Um. Well, let's talk about uh the, the Tim Gillingham's general hunting arrow for a for a standard setup. Do you are you a gold tip XT guy? Are you recommending Pierce? I mean, what's your general for guys that aren't geeked out for guy heading out. Hunting.
1: Uh, you can't hardly, yeah, you can't hardly beat an XT hunter for any North American game or a pro hunter. If that being said, if if I was doing nothing but whitetail hunting, I'd be shooting pure unadulterated speed. Yeah. So because I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I'd be, I'm what I'm good at is perfecting my setup for the for what I'm what I'm doing with it. You know, whether it's ASA, IBO, PETA, field whitetail deer, coos deer, elk, antelope, whatever. I, I'm I'm a guy that specializes. Um, I want speed because I'm dealing with an animal that's jumpy. I'm dealing with shooting through small holes in the brush where a flatter trajectory is going to help me. And I'm not worried about penetration for Christ's sake. I got girls on my staff shooting completely through deer at 50 pounds with a thorn broadhead. Yeah. Yeah. With you white know, tails, it's, it's not, a not, big a, deal. not a big deal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and, and, and again, and I don't, um, I've kind of went the other way. I stopped shooting micros and kind of went back, um, uh you know to st- shoot a standard 246 i i shoot black eagles but i and i've shot gold tips a ton too but spartan's kind of a modified 246 but people have to understand like when you're diving you know down this this rabbit hole it cannot be argued a skinnier shaft is better long distance it's it just is
1: uh, yeah but when i say long i mean past 90
0: well well and in and, and even even before that is is is, is noticeable depending uh, upon uh, how much probably, the wind. You know,
1: there's some validity to that because if it, you know, I mean, him shooting feet at fifty four yards or fifty five yards, you know, there's a little bit of benefit to shooting a pierce over a, you know, and a two forty six ID shaft in you know, even if you run one hundred sixty grade That being said, I mean, I set as on a record with a ultralight Ultra, one year yeah. double seventy with a with an ultralight. I remember. Well. But but, because it's more forgiving. But
0: but inside of 60, you know, it's kind of like long range shooting. It doesn't really matter. If you're shooting inside of 300 yards with a rifle, you can shoot, it doesn't matter. Shoot a 308, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it's not that big of a deal. For guys that are shooting or gals, 40, 50, 60 yards, standard setup. I mean, you don't really have to dive too, too deep into the rabbit hole unless you, you know, you want to. I would say that you're probably better off learning on how to shoot your bow in in kind of the art of archery rather than fucking around with, or sorry, I'm trying to cuss, 28% FOC. Shoot 150 grains up front and, you know, two and three, three or four two and three quarter veins and an XT hunter or a Spartan or whatever.
1: Don't even need 150, Okay. You know, I watched Levi walk up he shot pro hunters one year in ASA. I watched I watched that guy walk up to fifty yards and put seven arrows. Seven arrows in a fifty cent piece. And I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, people spent more time learning to shoot their bow, they can shoot virtually anything they want. Well,
0: and that's where and I, I see you and I getting bashed for multiple different reasons on forums, but the 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 grand the, the bottom line If you hit what you're aiming at, and I I know animals move, but if you hit what you're aiming at, you are going to be better off no matter what system you have. Now, people will argue animals move or whatever. I get that. But the bottom line is,
1: my question is, do they move towards you or do they move away from you? Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. Good point.
1: What happens when they move away from you? You don't necessarily hit the shoulder, do you? You hit the gut. Well, and, and that's what
0: I'm leading up to on this. Rather than worrying about things that don't matter as much, worry about what does. Accuracy fucking matters. Accuracy matters. That is the most important thing. Now, when I say accuracy matters, I'll give you an example. I have my wife shooting a 360 grain arrow, lightweight, 350, okay? We're hunting elk. Would I rather her hit exactly where she's aiming at at 40 yards with a 350 grain arrow at 45 pounds or would I rather her potentially shoot it in the shoulder with 500 grains? Well, that's pretty simple. I want her to hit what she's aiming at. That's why we focus with her so much on accuracy. She's not drawing back 90
1: pounds. Sure. The problem with her at 500 grain arrow is she'd be shooting 240 foot a second, and she'd have to have the yardage down to a gnat's ass in order to hit anything.
0: And it's worse than that. It's 207
1: feet per nice. second.
0: And, and yeah. d- Who the
1: hell would set up like that in this current day and age is just... They're just wrong. I mean, I, I had a girl come by one year at the indoor nationals and she's like, I'm going elk hunting this year. She said, what setup should I use? I said, well, personally, I think girls still need to maintain some speed. Okay. So I'd base your speed somewhere around 260. Um, I'd probably do a 500 velocity, but just pick a really good broadhead. And I said, I know lots of girls that I've dealt with that have Shot Magnus Stingers with very good luck on elk and so that's what she ran next year. She come by the booth, she was, couldn't wait to show me the pictures. She'd shot a bit, a nice six point bull at 38 yards, and now she was only shooting like 40, 40 or 45 pounds. She got a complete pasture. Now, yeah, that's I, an arrow that probably weighed 320 grain. I, I
0: wouldn't, I would but, not argue with you. On that, obviously, with my wife. Now, she probably didn't hit a rib, but I don't think pure people realize if, what a broadhead. If
1: I hit a rib with my setup, I'm probably not going all the way through
0: With a mechanical, definitely not. With a fixed blade, maybe. Um, maybe
1: but, but That's why I said, especially with big animals like elk, that's why I prefer rear deploy mechanicals, because I want, first and foremost, a big entry hole. I agree because there's no guarantees on the exit hole, so let's especially on a quarter if if they're quartered a little bit. Are we
0: are we taking up too much of your time, Tim? I don't want to drag this on forever, no. but I could talk forever. So if you want to I, go a little longer, that work, would be
1: cool. I work from home. Okay, let's talk about well, this. The, is, you know, needs to you know needs to be beat to a bloody pulp. But all right, now, know, like, I watched Jim Burnworth kind of sabotage the Ranchberries talk at the ATA show and. You know, he just basically and Jim's always shot like a like a four hundred twenty grade arrow at yeah, four twenty to four fifty, yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah, nothing just just reasonable. I mean, he he shot some many, many animals. It's just like shooting like he's like you, you know. He's well, like, and that's where I anymore.
0: that's where I get a little bit frustrated. Is I have applied knowledge far far more than most, and I, this isn't me. I'm not bragging. I'm I'm only right. saying this to fucking help people it'd be like me asking you tournament stuff you got a pretty good grasp on it
1: brad paisley wrote a song about all those internet experts right well (laughs) the the thing is is
0: it's not just you know people could say well aaron you draw back heavyweight tim you're tall i also guide right and i have all walks of life all shapes, sizes poundages the one thing that cannot be argued if you hit where you're aiming at you're better off yeah all right the animal can I mean, move
1: you where you're aiming. You don't have a problem. I mean, Joel Maxwell's wife shoots two blade rages on everything. I wouldn't tell his wife and her turn set up to do that, but she's done it successfully. Well,
0: let let's, let's talk. And, and people know I, sh- I cater to a heavier arrow than I do a lighter arrow, but I'm also built like I'm built, whatever the animal could move. Which way is it moving? If it moves towards the stomach, you're gonna want a wider broadhead, and there's a lot more stomach than there is shoulder. If it moves towards the what? shoulder, the percentage chance of making it through that thing is not great. Anyway, okay, but
1: the- so let's 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 look at an animal in a hunting situation. What are the what are the percentage odds of it moving in what direction? They're almost always gonna move away from the air, which is gonna put it to the rear rather than the front. You know, I, I don't get this argument that, well, if I hit in the shoulder, this. I, I, I had this kid on the internet arguing one day, and he was like, well, we, hit, we shoot elk up in Oregon in the in the rainforest. If you don't knock them right down, you never find them. I'm like, are you really that dumb? <laughs> are you really that dumb? I mean, seriously. Yeah. These people literally are they, are they just jacking with me or pulling my string, or are they really that dumb? So what do you think you can shoot through an elk shoulder blade?
0: So what? Or
1: shoulder
0: blade. I was just going to say. Or
1: not down.
0: If you shoot through the back side of an elk scapula, you can probably make it through. Well, I know I have on the thinner side of an elk scapula. Depending, sure. and Roosevelt's are a little different; they're bigger. If you,
1: if you hit the thin part of the scapula, yeah, the thin part. It's not a very. Different. And so, but here's
0: the thing: you're in a rainforest, okay? Do you want the chances of making it through? What would you say? Probably fifteen percent of that scapula is what you could make it through, depending upon how crazy a setup. Or do you want more yeah. blood because you're in the rainforest?
1: I would want a ton of blood.
0: Ton of blood, and I've I'm from Oregon. You've
1: know, you know, elk at dark, and you wondered which way did he go? Well, and and I, people following
0: along with me, believe me, I'm not a light arrow guy, and I'm not an extreme heavy arrow guy. I'm a fucking common sense guy, and. When, right. you, when you go to, let's say, hunt antelope. Now, I shoot one arrow for pretty much everything. There's not a lot for antelope to hide behind, so you don't have to worry about underbrush. What is the number one thing, Tim, you've hunted antelope? Number one thing, you, two top things you've got to worry about with antelope.
1: jumping the string, number
0: one. What would They're what not it?
1: jumping. They they see the arrow coming. I've shot them, I've shot them out of a blind when they didn't even know I was there and had them dodge the arrow.
0: All right, number two. What right. happens in the Eastern Plains?
1: They got the best freaking wind, man. I mean, wind. So wind, yeah. and you're gonna if you're spotting the stalking at all, you're probably gonna be shooting them, you know, sixty plus.
0: Yeah. So when I talk to people about antelope hunting, and they're at a 525 grain arrow at 70 pounds, and they're worried about noise. Now, antelope are getting out of the way no matter what. And and I'm a noise guy. I like to shoot a quieter bow and a quieter arrow. Everybody should strive for that. But with antelope, it's a little bit different ball game because one, it's windy. They're not going to hear as as much as far as the bow going off. They'll probably hear the arrow coming down and get out of the way for sure. But when when you're looking at it, bigger broadhead, faster bow. Two things. Because if they do get out of the way, I feel you want the largest broadhead. You possibly can shoot personally for antelope um, because they do move. And then I want less wind drag. You know, I want it to be able to go through the wind as as accurate as possible. Would you agree or disagree with
1: these things? Yeah, well, the less wind drift you get, the more easier it is to factor, you know, hey, it's going to move this far to this far. And if I shoot a big rear deploy mechanical, if I hit him anywhere in there, he's dead, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and so... Now, if if you're, so like with my wife, because I base a lot of the other, you know, things away from you and I, meaning we don't have long draws or heavy poundage or whatever. My wife shoots around a 400 to a 420. Well, no, she shot skinnies this year and was at 385. My wife shot 11 animals with a 385 grain micro with mechanicals and fixed blades, both. Now, she gets on a lot with me or whatever, but... She did not hit one animal. Well, she clipped off the stomach of an elk and had nothing to do with penetration. Not one time did we run into an issue finding her animals. Found them all. Well, according to some of the people online, my wife shouldn't even be in the woods because she's not a, you know, shooting 72% FOC and, and, every, and her arrow's under 400 grains. Why do I ever shoot 380 to 410? I don't want her shooting an arrow that she could fart faster than the bow is producing. She's got to have some speed. We're not hunting Cape Buffalo. And so right. there's got to be a happy medium. But the number one right. thing we work. Go ahead. That's
1: how far she's shooting too.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, 50. We're not, out. We're not reaching out and touching them. 50 yards. What are you thinking about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's fine. I mean, I mean, there's there's limitations. When you have limited setups, you have to limit the urge. I would never have my wife and her setups pass for sixty yards.
0: Yeah, about the same as that. number
1: one. You know, it's just number one. It is based on some of his skill level. She not you know, she ain't gonna put the effort into it. I mean, you you, you just can't take a three hundred grain arrow or three hundred fifty grain arrow at forty pounds and have enough ump on it to do anything past that distance. Yeah, well, and... You're you're putting yourself at a bunch bigger risk. Yeah,
0: and so, like, with with Amy, 50's kind of the max, um, you know, accuracy-wise, but what we work on with her more than anything is accuracy and knowledge, right? We work on her accuracy more than anything, and and that's, you know, tweaking her draw length and learning bow setups and everything else because you you can't, you can only band-aid something so much with a heavy arrow. Right. I mean, you can't, you can you can't accuracy, in my opinion, trumps everything. And I think people forget that. They'll go and build this crazy extrapolated arrow setup, but can't hit a stop sign at 50 yards. Accuracy trumps all, in, in, in my opinion. And I, I, I think you agree with that. I would assume, anyway. Oh, absolutely. No. Well, T- you got any parting things to say? We've covered just about every, we've been on over two hours. Good God, I thought there was going to be an hour.
1: Um, no, not really. It's just, you know, like you said, you know, you got to take responsibility for your own setups and learning and it's not that hard, especially in today's age. I mean, there's lots of videos. You know, go to our gold tips, YouTube channel. I cover, um, there's 11 video tuning series. I encourage people to watch that because that's all I do. You know, it just goes back and proves and show, it shows basically how paper, it brought it all mean kind of the same thing, brought it tuning wise and how to, you know, tune your arrows to, to get that perfect accuracy. And the fact that paper tells a lie, I mean, it just doesn't tells you exactly what's happening. Some people think they're too good for paper. They think that, uh, you know, that's the way the rookies do it. You know, but if you shot four arrows through paper with your veins on them and they all shoot perfect pinholes and then you put your bare shaft through paper and it doesn't shoot a pinhole, why are you trusting your bare shaft? Yeah. You still got to qualify a bare shaft.
0: Yeah, and you shoot all bare get, shafts through paper, don't you?
1: I don't shoot bare shafts through paper. Hell no.
0: Okay, gotcha. I thought you did for some reason. I couldn't remember. Um,
1: no, the only, time, the only time I'll ever shoot an all bare shafts through paper is I know if I'm pushing an arrow so hard on spine. And it's going to take one more than the four vein rotations to get them all to shoot the same tear. Gotcha. You know, and that's a super sensitive, you know, arrow. I've only done that once in my career, and that was for an IBO setup. But I,
0: I think with what you're you're saying, and Tim has a ton of knowledge out there that you can learn from. Is rather than focusing <laughs> on, I think just striving for knowledge in all aspects, whether that be leveling your sight or the best vein configuration how to tune your bow, how to yoke tune, how to, whatever, right? What, what learning all of that is going to trump anything. Once you, once you have put the forth the effort, uh, in learning all of these different things and practice, you know, shooting, obviously it's going to be a lot better than throwing 300 grains on the front of your arrow. I promise that that is a bandaid, um, work on accuracy and work on tuning, work on knowledge, that's going to, in my opinion, that's going to put you way farther ahead in, in hunting and tournaments than any, anything else. And I, I would, I would assume you're agreeing with that because you've kind of spent your whole life on knowledge. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a way easier to learn nowadays than it is. when We started, we had to learn it all. You well, know, I had to figure out what was wrong with my site leveling. I did it the way the authority at the time was, was, uh, and it didn't work, and so I had to figure out why, you know. That's all out there now. Just Google my name and site level, and you'll find all kinds of videos, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. same, tuning, so, everything's out there.
1: Tuning, yeah. I mean, a lot of the videos on our Gold Tips YouTube channel are, are really good. Spend the time to watch, you know. You'll learn more than, you know, it's like I, I started trying to find videos to look, you know, I'm starting to get into a little bit of rifle shooting, and trying to find you know, guys that uh, oh, I got a hamstring cramp, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but um, I started trying, trying to sort out all the information on the internet and try to figure out who to trust and who not to trust. That's, that's the tricky part. And, you know, there's some guys that just rise to the top and, you know, you got to do the same thing with Archie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just put, put forth the effort and and, and learn and believe me, you'll be better off in the long run, but um, well, Tim, I, we've been on two hours and 16 minutes, so I, I knew I, w- I was trying not to keep you on this long, but uh, it's always a, a pleasure.
1: Yeah, good talking with you again. And, uh, you know, I don't get to kill as many critters as you, but it's not. Like I said, it's, I'm, I'm privy to thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures and conversations every year from people that that do, do it, whether they took my advice or you know, I always ask their setups, especially you know, the women and the kit and the, the smaller setups. I mean I got a girl on my staff that, you know, gone to Africa and shot everything from an Eland to a Kudu to a blue wildebeest. Some of the African guys get on these swarms and act like their animals are so much harder to kill. You know they bleed the same as anything else. You know, she shot everything with a you know, three hundred and forty, three hundred and fifty grain you know, XT Hunter with a Montech broadhead, but again, at her energy level, she picked the proper broadhead for the job. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, you and I, and I, and I think that um, you know, over overall, as you learn all of this, and and uh, you know, you you will learn the the far reaches of what one system can handle, and not just reading about it. You know, you get on certain websites and forums, you you got to have you know twenty four percent foc and i don't know whatever else and it's just not true
1: you're gonna find better information if, if guys want to really learn to shoot their bows better they need to get out and shoot 3d archery and then and, and tournament archery because they're gonna they're gonna to learn to shoot better you know they're just gonna to learn to shoot more accurately they're gonna they're gonna be surrounded by people that can help them out with the tricks of the trade um and you know it's just gonna make you better like i said i learned all my slope shooting stuff training for you know, the pro series. That's where I learned it. And now we're using that information. You know, I'm working, you know, with Bushnell on a project and on, on a range finder project and hopefully we'll get it to where, you know, all that information is used to, to build something that, you know, can help the end consumer make their job easy. when it comes, you know, in terms of shooting up. Those methods, so. but.
0: No. Well, <clears throat> yeah, get out there and, and learn, I would say. And, uh, you know, yeah. it, you're going to be better I mean,
1: off. <laughs> experimentation, that's probably one thing I, I enjoy the most. I mean, it's just experimenting and any more archery, just I look at it as work, you know, and <laughs> there are still some experiments that I'd like to run. Just There's got to be enough incentive to go do it, you know? Yeah. You know, is it, is it for something, you know? I mean, that's the reason I learned for pro series. It was for something. I didn't want to fail. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to master every shot in the field and and know I was, you know, there's no guesswork. You know, when I pull an arrow out of the quiver, the reason I shoot in broadheads is I don't want surprises. They've got an awesome practice system, and I don't like surprises. And the one thing I've learned about broadheads is ain't none of them fly like field points. Yeah. You might make them fly like field points 20, 30, 40 yards, but when you start dealing in the ranges of, you know, out to, 80, 90, 100. You, they don't, none of them fly like field points. They have different drag effects. They have, you know, any blade surface at all is going to, you know, make them take off. I mean, there's just there's just so much, you know, so much that affects it. So don't ever trust the fact that it brought it to fly like field points.
0: Yeah, that is a fact. Not even mechanicals do not fly like field points because it's not no, a field no, they, point.
1: They, I mean, <laughs> you know, the one that I found that. That does is was a more night period, but you know that's the one I put people in that I know are not going to practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. You know, I guy hunt within Nebraska every year, and I know he's not going to put any work in, so I I keep him in that rod and it does a good job for him. You know? Yeah. So, but yeah, they're you know, he's never going to be shooting, you know, past. 60 or 70
0: yards either so yeah well yeah right. i mean that's obviously whatever shooting to the ability that you're at but i think if anybody gets out there just try to learn more experiment yeah the
1: further out further out you practice the more psychologically a short shot becomes easy too yeah. you know if i if i'm shooting all the time at 120 and my rangefinder clicks 80 psychologically in my mind i don't fear missing at all it's like you're dead you know and I just remember that on a couple of animals and then there's other times you draw back and your, your whole focus is on, I hope I don't miss, screw this up or I don't miss this. And it's, that's basically the equivalent of target panic, right? You just, you just put all these doubts in your head and you're focusing on the wrong thing, you know? So, you know, the more, you know, the more confident you're going to be.
0: Yeah. No, with, without a doubt. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, having said that, uh Tim before you hop off, let everybody know where they can find you mentioned it a few times to find some of the knowledge you've kicked out there um where they can take a look at it uh you know when they're getting into tuning well, and everything else. Yeah,
1: uh, they can Google my name or just go to Gold Tips YouTube channel. Um there's lots of stuff on there. The video series is uh there's 11 videos. They're kind of labeled 1 through 11. They're not really the YouTube kind of just throws them up there based on how they're viewed, but I'd I'd watch them in order 1 through 11. There's some other videos on building more accurate arrows, or if you want to build an arrow specific, like building the Pierce target arrow or building the Pierce hunting arrow. Goes through some of the difficulties in, you know, challenges in in built when you're building that set of arrows and how to build them, you know, into the best. Just like reloading ammo, there's good, better, and best. There's go buy bullets over the counter. You can expect a certain level of accuracy. You can build your own arrows and then do all the work and expect a different level of accuracy. So. If you're only shooting, you know, hogs off a feeder at 30 yards, you don't need that level of accuracy. Yeah. You know, you're not going to go buy, you know, Lapua Midas to shoot squirrels out of trees, right?
0: No, no. And without diving down that rabbit hole, some of the different people I've had on this podcast and, you know, whatever, when you're talking about a 550 grain arrow and whatever percentage of foc for for a white tail or whatever you, you, it just doesn't make sense ever,
1: so <laughs> i don't ever measure my foc i don't even care
0: i, I did when somebody asked a, recently but it's yeah. a
1: sliding scale of a it's a sliding scale of of a give and take scenario it's all it is it's all it that matters that's all it is it's just like the more weight i put up front the more it de-spines my arrows the, um the more weight i put up front for the more weight i use the slower my setup is i don't ever think I need it for penetration that has no bearing on that decision whatsoever it's 100% win performance
0: yeah and i mean i think that um you know as people are listening to you know what we're what we're talking about obviously i always try to be 150 to 175 up front but that's also kind of puts me in that 280 285 generally you know mm-hmm. and so and i'm not quite as anal as is well i say quite tim's more anal than i am and and i'm generally a one arrow guy for the season and so I like to be around two hundred eighty to two eighty five. I like to have a four hundred and fifty to four hundred and eighty grain arrow and I shoot seventy to seventy four pounds. You know, that's a good all around arrow. But it doesn't um uh that gets me about where I want to be all the way around. I don't ever yeah. pay attention to FOC and and I don't I don't care. I it's where it tunes.
1: Yeah, I think my setup right now is four hundred and i got to be somewhere around 470 at
0: 305. Yeah, and th- you know where that is, is your freaking arms are four inches longer than mine. Like, if I had longer arms, it'd be a different story. I don't. i got a 29-inch draw, and that's plenty, right? That's, yep. But what's your drawing, 31 or 32 in change and a two-inch D-loop or something? What is your actual drawing?
1: My actual drawing is 33 and a half. I shoot the Bowtech, the Revolt XL that goes out to 33 inches, so I shoot about a, you know an inch loop on it yeah but i target them long but because it only goes to 32 and a half so yeah
0: but you know when people are listening to this and 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 i just one knowledge right and and focus on what's important don't mess around with shit that's not i mean just get out there perfect your bow learn to tune and you don't have to ask tim and i about anything you've learned it on your own
1: the point is, is I look over my entire, you know, I haven't shot half as many animals yet. Probably you know, I don't even know. I don't keep track. So, but if I've shot one hundred and forty animals in my career, I've done most of that with an eighty-five or a hundred grain screw-in point in the front of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I mean, obviously, very lethal in some of those at farther distances, and again, focusing on accuracy, tuning, knowledge you just get wrapped up on having X amount of percentage up front or you get wrapped around certain things. You're not learning the total big picture. And I, I, I'm not, it's not like I'm an ultra lightweight arrow guy or a heavyweight arrow guy. I'm a common sense guy. I'm a shoot what works best for that application guy. And I think if you strive to just learn and be a better archer, you're going to be a hell of a lot better than focusing on one thing. And and I think that. that's you
1: know, um, true, true. Whether you're hunting or shooting target archer or whatever. I mean, if, if I got girls that come up and they're, they're shooting, wanting to build a setup, and I say, I, first question I ask them is, is, what speed are you shooting this weight arrow at? Because I base everything around speed because I feel like it's a good measurement of forgiveness where that forgiveness threshold lies. And then we just p- play both ways. I know what's forgiving for me and my shooting style, somewhere around 270. You know, that's the minimum I'll go. But if I'm shooting long range, i don't do 270 because I can't get any distance, you know, and it's just that much slower. I think my optimal speed is 295. Um, but I might say that simply because all the cut that I ever got was at one exact speed so that I could, you know, repeat it. Yeah. So there's just, there's just give and take, but I built a hundred percent of my setups based around a desired speed. The yeah. only exception to that is probably indoor archery, but that's just because you're shooting 20 yards and the, the you know, the range of forgiveness is so much bigger. So if you're shooting, deer at 25 yards and then your range of forgiveness is so much bigger you know you can use about anything yeah
0: yeah same with long range with a, a rifle closer yard you can use pretty much whatever it's caliber you no want
1: different. yeah it's just if you want to shoot when we shot 90 meters you shoot 100 yards with a bow in the woods you know you gotta trade it a little differently and more seriously yeah, yeah
0: no for sure so uh, well man, I appreciate you uh hopping on here. It's obviously always a pleasure and, and informational. So um keep kicking ass on the tournament scene, man. Holy shit. That's impressive. Well,
1: I just I started working from home and I thought I'd practice three times a day and that just don't happen. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Life. I just like to refer to myself as a highly undisciplined person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're you're crushing it out there. You've won the first two out of three, right?
1: Yeah, if I if I had the desire to work out like you did, I'd probably be a real badass. Or you do that, or I'd be injured one of the
0: two. Yeah, probably both because I have been both, yes, um, and I'm not getting any younger. I think you got me by five, six years. How
1: old are you now? I'm um, just shy of 53. I'll be
0: 53 in July. Yeah, see, you got, I'm 45, so it's catching up to me. Things that I didn't know could hurt are starting to, so I've had to tone her down a bit from where I was uh, uh, years ago. Hey, I had to five. slow down
1: for the next five years in your eyes.
0: I don't even want to think about that because my far vision's already shot and I can still see close, so I can't wait till I got to see, throw in the uh, the breakaway glasses to see my damn sight tape. That hasn't hit yet, so.
1: Oh, you ain't got there yet, huh?
0: No, no, no. Close vision's still good.
1: I, I had a lens replacement in my right eye three years ago, and uh, it's actually, there's pros and cons to it, but it's uh, been a godsend. I mean, it really, that's
0: helped me a bunch but if i'd have got both eyes done i'd be screwed oh lord uh well cool man right on i should probably get back to work but i really appreciate Uh, all the knowledge man take it easy Uh, we'll
1: see you